Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan, and this week we are going over the Player's Survival Guide for the Mothership RPG Zero Edition, or Beta Edition, or whatever they would like to call it, uh, prior to the drop of First Edition later this year. Unfortunately, my microphone did not work for the first 30 seconds to a minute of this episode, so we are going to cut ahead um, after piecing together the bits that you can hear from Hunter because I wouldn't want you to miss out. So thank you for tuning in, and here's our episode. I'm Hunter. <laughs> we both spent $200 on the Kickstarter. You know, I'm doing so good. I, if I was any better, uh, it would be illegal. So I'm, I'm feeling fantastic. I definitely don't have a sore throat and a cough. I definitely feel amazing. <laughs> um, so how about you, Ryan? How's it going, man? Have you slept yet? A nap for like two hours because I physically was incapable of staying awake. Uh, because my sleep schedule has been terrible and I felt like crap yesterday. So go us. We're both doing great this morning. Just <laughs> wonderful. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Killing the game. To them for sleepy boy and sick guy. Welcome to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Last week we're like, our brains don't work this week. And this week we're like, <laughs> everything hurts. Um, part of getting older, um, and weaker and being in a pandemic and just generally, you know, I've been living a, a lot time. recently. I'm I'm pretty strong right now. I don't know about this getting weaker shit. Yeah, keep that I'm over not, there. And California, lifted, where you are, I've not lifted anything or done anything physical in far too long. I am in terrible shape right now, and I really need to fix that. But I find myself with 12 hours to do anything I want, and I end up doing nothing. Uh, so that's that's where I'm at. It sounds nice. It's so oh, good. Honestly, 12, it's 12 hours and nothing. Whew. Yeah. It's a vacation. Yeah. I wish I had the drive of someone like Sirsa Victory and could work on like 10 projects at one time and actually get them done. Yeah, rocking that. Ooh, I also am rocking a pretty dope shirt today. This is uh, this old world champ. I think we got two of our favorite creators, period, on our clothing today between Sirsa and yeah. Vass. Yeah. You know, World uh, Games shirt. Speak, speaking, you should. This is really nice, too. It's got, like, the dice, yeah, but they're, like, cool bullet looking. holes. And it's got the sweet logo, and there's, like, a thing on the back, too. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I dig it. I like it a lot. Um. So, speaking of Adam Bass, we're going to get into uh, Kickstart the Podcast. But, um, I guess, for but. future reference, yeah, we're not... Kickstart the podcast is not just Kickstarter. It's all crowdfunding. But if we called it crowdfund the podcast, I feel like that doesn't have the same weird ring vibes. and it sounds. Yeah, weird vibes. Um, so Indiegogo, each funding, like all that stuff. But um, I'm going to kick to this window so it shows up. Kickstart the podcast. But we're coming back to the main window. Again, you podcast listeners don't give a shit what windows we're in. Yeah, but I do have windows. I do <laughs> have some physical... There are windows in your imagination. There you go. Um, if you've never watched a podcast, they're pink and beautiful. Um, so physical rewards. I have uh, Tomb of Immolation. Oh, I remember you when you backed this, I believe. Yeah, yeah. This is, um, I don't want to get the name wrong. Uh, 
Yagdu Games, um, which is Michael Harmon. Uh, this is Billman and Muv. Um, if if you I don't know if you follow Michael Harmon on Instagram, but fuck is his good. No, his art amazing. Oh, my gosh. So what now. I backed, what I backed is Tomb of Immolation at Tiny D6. This is the second Kickstarter that they've done for Tomb of Immolation. I believe the first one was like a 5e OSR version, and this is a Tiny D6 conversion. Uh, we should definitely review Tiny D6 at one point. I got the book. It's a really, really neat little system. Um, yeah, I remember you saying you liked that one. I still haven't looked through it at all, so I'd be interested yeah. in going over it. So um, I was actually able to late pledge this because I looked at it, and then um, Michael Harmon actually like hopped into our Discord and stuff, and I reached out because his art is amazing and was like, hey, I missed the Kickstarter by like a week. Um, can we do late pledges? And he was like, yeah, just email um, you know one of our guys and uh, and hit him up. So they allowed me to do a late pledge. Um, and what I did with the late pledge was get everything. And for those that can't see, I'm holding five books, <laughs> five books, five books. Uh, so what I got was the the regular zine, like soft cover zine of Tomb of Immolation, um, which the cover is this like wrap. Uh, I don't think this is a wraparound. This uh, the cover art is from Billy Blue, um, and this is just a standard. It's like a um, curvy mummy woman with flaming hands, which is pretty sweet. And there's a map of the Tomb of Immolation on the back of the zine. Then. Um, there is the standard hardcover zine. Get down. Which, get down. Which has Sorry, art from... I thought from, I muted myself. I'm like, getting my cat. I thought it was Nope, not nah, mute yourself. Down. No. Um, then there's the standard Michael Harmon cover, which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, then there's another Michael Harmon cover uh, of the same kind, but I actually backed to get the 5e OSR version too. So I have Tiny D6 and 5e OSR. Uh, then there is this kind of like virgin Billy Blue cover, which has the initial cover of the zine on the back and then flaming horned skeleton. No, not horned. Flaming skeletons on the front with a sword. That's pretty metal. And it wraps, I'm into that. Oh, yeah. It wraps all the way around. Um, and by virgin cover, I mean, like, there's no title. There's no nothing on the front or the back. It's just on the, the binding. That's pretty again. cool. It's very it's sleek. Pr it's pretty dope. And then... Um, there is an alternate cover from Nicolas Giacondino, um, which is apparently um, known to Tiny D6 fans. Um, but it is. Cool. Uh, yeah, it is the mummy person again, uh, riding a snake with flaming skeletons, climbing up, trying to get her. And it is also an absolutely gorgeous cover. So between between the five books, there's four different covers. Um, by three different artists, um, and they're all great. Um, I've started reading it. Um, I need to read more, um, but it's pretty badass. It's really interesting. I like the conversion to Tiny D6, so you get 5e OSR and Tiny D6, um, and they're all really, really neat. Those it's covers definitely... are so, that, that art is so cool, man, and all of those is really cool. So. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I love um the alt cover from Nicolas Ja Condino. Um and then the two covers from Billy Blue are great, but really I love the uh the Michael Harmon cover. This is just absolutely yeah. stunning. That's a yeah. really cool one. It's also like uh it's very unique to the ones that you just showed like 
Um, yeah. For those of y'all listening, um, let's just describe. You want to describe to them? Oh yeah. Um. Uh. This says that it is Saba Nakri, uh, and it is. Gosh, it's just a woman's face and profile with her hands going towards her mouth. But it, it's hard to describe the art style. Realistically, just go look at Michael Harmon's stuff on Instagram um, and you'll I see the style. Him, so. Yeah, he has a very distinct, really interesting way that he does color. Um, and all the illustrations inside are him as well, but they're black and white. Um, but they're still like really, really gorgeous the way that he does um, the way that he does his his uh, sketches and designs. Um, I don't know. It's and hard to describe. Everyone who wants to follow him, it's just Michael dot Harmon dot Art. Yeah. Really, 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 really amazing. Um, and I know that Yagdu Games has another uh, Kickstarter coming out soon. Um, uh, and I can't remember what it's called, but I did put it in my notify me, so it should be in my saved projects. Um, but I do not see it. Uh, but they are doing a Merkborg adventure soon. Uh, Jeff in chat, these are the covers for the various covers for Tomb of Annihilation, the 2D6 and 5E um, uh, adventure put out from Yagdu Games. Wait, did you say Tomb um, of Annihilation? I'm sorry, Tomb of Immolation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's close. Definitely yeah. Tomb of Immolation. Lots of fire themes. <laughs> Immolation. Lots of fire themes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when their other Kickstarter goes live, goes live, um, I'm sure we will be talking about that. Um, and if you go to Michael, if you actually, if you look on his Instagram, it should say what it is. I think it's like skin bag or something like that. Um, it's one of the most recent illustrations. Well, look, uh, skin job is interesting for coming to Kickstarter in February. There you go. So definitely check that out. Um, do the notifications. Uh, it's good times. So kicking over to the other window. The other window. We actually have things to talk about that um, we uh, let's do the one that we haven't backed yet. Um, Philip Reed has a really cool uh, Kickstarter called Mimics, an unnecessary work uh, selection of worthless tools and ideas for mimics designed for most fantasy RPGs that are basically that fantasy RPG, you know. Um, this is a really interesting project. I love Philip Reed stuff. You can't, oh, a, this whole section right here is all Philip Reed stuff. I backed just about everything <laughs> of his Merkborg projects, um, including uh, Tome of Skulls. So uh, this is gonna be like a big layout. Um, and it's the second one he's done in a pocket map. If you haven't seen the pocket map before, he did Tome of Skulls in a pocket map. Have you seen this? I have not. So it's literally, it's got a front and a back, but it's literally a map, like, like a map, like you would keep in your glove oh, compartment. Cool. It folds out. For those that can't see, it's very small. Um, it's maybe like, like four or five inches by four or five inches. Um, but it opens out literally into like a giant map style, like page. Uh, and it's a giant page on the front and the back. Uh, and it's just a really fucking neat format. And he likes to do a lot of really interesting, neat format things. So he does a lot of pamphlets and, and different things like that. Um, so cool. this is, yeah, this one was six skeletal foes for Merkborg. Um, and I guess the, um, the, uh, Mimic one is going to be, uh, on a pocket map as well. Uh, and then there are, uh, other things you can get as well. There is the Jiggles and Wiggles, a second pocket map, which is about more Merkborg or more, uh, Mimic stuff. 
um, and links to a game that he's made called Gelatinous, uh, which uses these really cool um, kind of green uh, mimic looking, or I'm sorry, um, not mimic. Uh, oh my gosh, what 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 is this creature that I'm trying to think of that is just gelatinous pinned cube. by tin jelly? Gelatinous cube. Literally called gelatinous and couldn't put the two together. Obviously, I'm tired. <laughs> um, lots of cool stuff. And then there's options for uh, more with stretch goals. There is a snowy scenes pocket map. Um, there is a useless ideas pocket map. Um, and uh, and then a bunch of add-ons where you can find a lot of his old content. So really cool. Um, I'm I I don't think I'm gonna end up backing this because I'm trying to save money. Um, and uh but it looks really really neat um i do believe it is it's double fully funded um it only needed 10k it's at 20k so it, it i am not worried about it not being funded it's great stuff if you mimics. like philip reed yeah mimics are my favorite way to just mess with like especially if i because i always have like a very like light-hearted group that i'm just like i'm just gonna i'm gonna fuck with y'all um so i always love introducing a weird mimic here and there setting the expectation with like a normal a normal mimic and then just like giving them bonkers ones later on What's funny is, in the whole time I've been playing RPGs, I have had, I think, one mimic in my games. I don't think really? I've ever. I think I fought one, and I've I've DM'd one, and that's about it. So, um, speaking of Merkborg, we'll move into the next thing. Um, it is using dead things. Uh, this is crafting improvement and animal husbandry rules for Merkborg. Um, this is also funded. Uh, it had a thousand dollar goal. It's already at 2,362. Um, it's still got two weeks left on it and it's, it just looks really, really neat. This is from Tyler Lindsay. Um, and reading the beginning, the world of Merkborg is swollen with desecrated artifacts, putrid items, and cursed creatures. Perhaps you'd like to create even more of them. Uh, it's a 40 page book consists of two sections. The first has crafting and improvement rules for creating generic and unique items for Merkborg. Um, and then the second section of the book deals with animal husbandry, like rules for capturing and mating different creatures uh, and four plus all new creatures. Uh, the art looks it really looks neat. beautiful. Like it, it looks, looks gorgeous, like the, right? The cover, I saw the cover mm -hmm. and I'm like, wow, that's a fucking cool minimalist cover. I love yeah. that. I'm going to be honest. Um, I was not decided yet on whether I was going to back this or not. And then I looked at it again and saw the cover and was like, fuck. Look at the page by page artwork on this. If you're listening to this in podcast land, you should go check out this Kickstarter. Um, yeah. Because like the page layout, like I think we're all very familiar with the Merkborg style of layout. And this is like not so far away from it that it feels different, but there's a lot more. Um, it's a little different. It's nice. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I do really like that it uses uh, it's like the Merkborg style, but on white and a lot of Merkborg is on black pages, which I think yeah, is gorgeous. Totally. Uh, but the white yeah, just gets it. We're really... not fans of the Merkborg no. style on this channel. Well, obviously it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, no one nor is uh, a god. Um, but the white is just beautiful and the cover is neat. It's an all white cover, but it's got this like a uh, rectangular black kind of like inky darkness with the um compatible with Merkborg on the back and these like crossed uh hammers 
uh, on the front in yellow. And it's just, it's just beautiful um, all the way through. But yeah, the white pages are just gorgeous. And there's some ones that are, yeah. you know, on black and stuff like that. They have one for the blind craftsmen. It definitely has that Merkboard vibe, but it's got colors like orange and stuff. But yeah, absolutely. It definitely, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very cool artsy take yeah. on the Merkborg style. Um, and then I mean, but, I mean, the it. weapons page, yeah, the weapons page is yellow, so it dev- gives you that yeah. work. But some of the fonts are different and stuff like that. Um, so it's really, really neat. And um, Astro Lich, uh, who uh, we also backed for um, Nativity in Black, does oh, yeah. uh, works on this, especially on the um, right. the he postcards that, that you get. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really neat. Uh, I backed it at the. Um, the physical version so i got the uh world guide postcards uh and the uh dead things in print so like i said gorgeous looking book and i really like when people take the kind of merkborg style base and tweak it because this is definitely like uh a departure in some ways but that's still incredibly reminiscent Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so you know it's merkborg but um it definitely does its own take on it, which is just beautiful. Um, I think the last one we have to go over before we get into this, if I remember correctly, we had the one physical reward, and I think we had the the project. Uh, is it's called Horizon Rising, the Drowning of Altum, um, by LFOSR, a sinking system neutral sandbox setting source book. Um, this has also already been funded. It was a $6,000, um, goal and it's almost quadruple that at almost 24 K now with eight days to go. I think this was a relatively short Kickstarter. I think it only had like two weeks for funding, but it funded in the first day. Um, but if you don't know LFOSR and I wish I knew him a little bit more, um, but he is a writer, book crafter, um, and, uh, and store like I've bought multiple things from LFOSR. I'll actually be posting stuff later this week um, that I received from uh, from them. Um, but the store is really awesome. It's where I got my Nave copy. It's where I got my Rogueland copy. Right. Uh, has a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I pre-ordered like Sand and Ether and Durf from them too. Uh, so uh, it looks really really cool. Um, on the page it says Horizon Rising is an art-heavy, system-neutral setting source book featuring a battle-ravaged playground of so-called deities crushed under its own opulence, destined to drown under the relentless sea. The land aches for an end, and ho- and oh, how the end is near. Um, so yeah, it, it the art looks amazing. What, it's, which it's just tier like, did you back it at? Um. The, the highest deluxe tier. Deluxe tier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to save my money. Yeah, so I went ahead and backed the deluxe tier. I backed this at the physical tier. I actually do really want this. It's very cool. Yeah, it's neat. And LFOSR just seems like a really cool person. Um, and I yeah. love their store. Uh, the book looks great. The art is really interesting. I wish. I think. I. I believe this is like they do the art in this, and the pointillism style art is just stunning. Um, so it, it's got. It's. 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 I wish I could talk. I need to have a little bit more coffee. Um, it's hex map yeah. style. There's 50 detailed hexes in it. Um, a bunch of spells, creatures, a uh, bunch of stuff. And as it said, it's system neutral. So, um, and with the deluxe tier, you get a bunch of physical items. Um, you get a 14 page bonus zine. You get um, player handouts. You get a trifold, 
featuring a caravan of mysterious traveling merchants, a deck of cards, a poster map, an art print, a soundtrack, a DM screen. Damn, I might and, actually move up to the $75 tier because I really right? want the map. I really want the map and stuff, you know. It's dope. It's dope. Um so yeah. So really, really cool. And definitely go check out their website um for LFOSR. Uh, we'll be posting links to, to their accounts and stuff when I do the, uh, kickstart the podcast recap. Um, but a lot of really, really cool stuff on their page, on their store and some, uh, really cool project that they're creating here. Uh, so yeah. So I think that is the entirety of kickstart the podcast. This is our shortest Uh, kickstart the podcast ever. No, I think we had one that was like four minutes long where we were just like, we did nothing. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to, I think we should, I think we're trying to cruise through it a little bit faster so we have more time for the sure. games. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 I'm oh, sorry. Oh. We have, there we go. Yeah, we have a pretty uh, substantial announcement to make, actually. Wait, wait, that prior to that, do. one more time, one more time. I forgot the most important kickstart the podcast of the day, actually. Oh, what is it? uh cyber metal 2012 oh yeah duh yeah bro. yeah yeah how dare almost forgot. you how dare I even have the page you literally sitting here i'm literally wearing the world champ games like fucking shirt and i almost <laughs> forgot to talk about uh cyber metal 2012 uh cyber metal 2012 is on is on game found um and it is from world champ games and adam vass it is an tabletop rpg of demons metalheads and weirdos uh, and I like the use of the Oxford comma here out of that. Thank you so much. Um, surviving and thriving in an isolated city of warp technology in an alternate timeline. Uh, single session or campaign play, two to five players in a game master, demon worshiping, drug running, debt canceling, consciousness uploading, and whatever the hell else you can come up with in a lo-fi cyberpunk sandbox designed, written, illustrated, and published by Anabasa World Champ Games. This is something I've been looking looking forward to for an incredibly long uh time uh and i don't know if you noticed uh he actually has uh where is it on here um it is the the darts uh thing that he talks about um so there's actually a timeline the death agent role-playing timeline series uh i know you know what death agent is from i do i do know what death agent is from so apparently there's going to be a uh series of like death agent things across the world. It says the alternate history of tons of critical paths and radical stories that we can't wait to explore and tell. And cyber metal 2012 is just the first. Um, and we hope the, to build on the success of cyber metal 2012 to develop and publish additional standalone games in the same timeline to highlight important darts again, death agent role-playing timeline series events, characters and tales. Some games are already in development like hell war, 1991 panic, 1982 and exodus, 1999. So they're all different uh, timeline things, but for those so that don't know what Death Agent, this is Adam Bass's like uh, his um, multiverse or his, uh, you know, basically it's an alternate timeline where all this is from. Um, where we know Death Agent from is Necronautilus because you actually play a Death Agent in Necronautilus uh, because in Necronautilus you are you're dead and you're in a dead universe. Basically, when everything dies, it goes to this universe, and then you are an agent of death called a Death Agent, uh, and you go around doing what death wants you to do and keeping everything in line in this game uh death agent is the best metal band of all time 
that rose to heights never before witnessed, and after the demonic ritual sacrifice of Ronald Reagan, if only, um, at their last concert, <laughs> they open gates of hell um, and have a war. So, uh, so yes, uh, in Necronalis, you are a gas cloud known as a death agent. Uh, so this project is absolutely stunning. The art is amazing. Um, I instaback everything Anvas does. Uh, uh, so, uh, it is currently at 59% funded. It's almost 9,000 of a $15,000 goal. So go check this out go and back it. it. Yeah. I backed at the highest tier. I was number, I was back at number three. <laughs> I'm sad. I wasn't back at number one. I had my, I was sitting there waiting for it to go, but I was back at number three. Um, I did the top tier pledge and I also did the $80, uh, get physical art, uh, add on. Uh, so, so go back it. It looks amazing. Anabas is awesome. It does look uh, he actually, so cool. So, yeah. uh, And he actually just did a Twitch stream the other day where he did a piece of art uh, live on Twitch that you'll actually be able to get as part of that $80 tier uh, for the add-on. Not a tier. It's an add-on to get a piece of physical art. Uh, so definitely go check him out. Uh, it, it would be awesome if this would fund... Uh, especially trying to fund a project off of Kickstarter. Because uh, I know, I mean, I have to read a little bit more on it, but I know people are not super stoked that Kickstarter is moving to a blockchain uh, format. So people are doing more towards like Indiegogo and GameFound and doing itch funding um, and trying to move a little bit away from Kickstarter and have more viable um, options to fund things. Uh, so it'd be great if this would fund and not fund on Kickstarter. Um, and as Jeff said in the chat, yes, I do back his Patreon as well. Uh, so if you want to get projects, uh, you can back uh, at a tier to get physical um, versions or digital versions. Most of those projects end up on the store anyway, um, but you can get some things that you won't be able to get other places from his Patreon. So long story short, go fund this. You won't regret it. It looks amazing. Um, the premise basically is Y2K virus was a thing. Uh, and after, you know, the death agents opened the the uh, portal to hell uh, and Obviously. demons came out and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, this is 12 years after Y2K uh, and there is a Y2K game as well, uh, which is a prequel to this that gives you a preview of the rules that you can play for free um, if you go to the World Champ Games itch page um, and uh, it's it's a good time. But the, the game found link is just if you go to uh, pentagram.city, www.pentagram.city, it will take you to the game found link. So go back it, fund it. Let's get this thing yeah. working. Give your it's money. Amazing. I want this game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So and sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt you earlier. But no, that was uh, an important one that we I mean, I yeah. don't know how it wasn't the first one we went over, uh, but that was an important one to. Uh, I wanted to save it for last, but up. then. That's fair. Brain, it's very fair. Best brain's for broken. Last, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but broken yeah, brain. we do have we do have a really awesome uh, announcement, which is pretty much the coolest thing that's ever happened to this channel. Uh, so, Hunter, do you want to yeah, tell so the folks what that is? Yeah, so pretty much the coolest thing ever. Um, yeah. We have a special episode next Saturday, which is January twenty second, well, uh, where we are going to hang out and interview the man himself, Johan Nor, who has done art for games such as Merkborg, our perfect art game. Um, he also did the art for Into the Ob, which is my favorite game of last year. He did Simbarim. Um, he's done a ton of Merkborg third-party stuff. 
Um, and then I mean, he did the cover for he did the cover for Troll King, which which was um, from Chris Bissett, which was fantastic. Um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, I wish I could have a. I should have had a list in front of me of all the stuff he's done. Um, I've collect. I think I have almost everything he's done for third party stuff. I have almost everything he's done. Period. Um, except he put out a game, and I, I'm I'm not even gonna try because uh, I'll butcher it. But it's a Swedish game that him and I believe Pele Nielsen did before they did Merkborg. Um, and I think that mm. that's how I could be completely wrong. I think that's how that's how they kind of like became friends, um, or like started hooking up on projects. Um, but it's only in Swedish. There is no English uh, translation that I can find. Guess we're going to learn, um, learn Swedish. But the yeah. thing is that we will have him on the show next week to hang out. It's at 12 o'clock uh, Pacific, uh, 2 p.m. Central. So not our usual time. Um, if you cannot make it, that's okay. We will post the VOD. We will put it up where you listen to podcasts. But you should check it out because it's fucking cool, man. We have Johan Noor coming on the show. It literally it's- could not be cooler literally incapable of being cooler and all all you had to do was ask uh just yeah. like, hey. <laughs> he was like fuck yeah i'll go come on i'm like hell yeah okay cool that's so. awesome so uh so as far as you know i think what we're gonna do too is just gonna be like more of a hangout where we'll ask some some questions stuff like that but it's not gonna be like a a standard just I'm gonna sit have down. a beer so we're yeah. just drinking oh, beer definitely hanging. cracking a beer yeah. yeah, we're definitely going to be asking questions, but it's not going to be like a standard sit down interview where I'll have a list and we'll go through it. We're just going to kind of hit a bunch of topics about gaming and uh, graphic design and a bunch of different stuff like that. And then drink until we feel like not drinking anymore and hang out until, it you know, we run out of things to talk yeah. about. Uh, so there will not be, as Hunter said, there will not be a regular episode. We're not going to go over a game next week uh, since it is at a, at a time where I would be super asleep otherwise. Uh, but um but yeah, I can't even, I still can't believe it's happening. Uh, super cool. Yeah. So yeah, Johan Noor next week will announce Johan it. Um, we'll announce it again all over the place because I'm just going to freak out all week about, about it happening. Uh, so yeah, so that is Kickstarter the podcast and our special announcement. And we are, again, 45 minutes in seems to be like, you know, once we start exactly and actually into the a game. Starts. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's good. Um, that gives us two hours and 15 minutes. You know, unless we do another Red Giant. God, no kidding. Hey. And Papa Jedi, thank you so much for the resub. That is 12 months. You got that D20 now. You are the man. Thank you for being here for a year. Thank you. Um, so uh, the whole Jedi fam are wonderful, wonderful people. Um, so thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for hanging out. And thanks for being with us for a year. We love you. Uh Ducky in the chat too. You'll be able to see Ducky next week when we get back into some Merc Borg. Speaking of which, um, but yeah. So, are you ready to get into uh, Mothership Zero no, let's Edition? Just, let's call it. Let's just call it right now. That, that was the episode. Great. Bye, guys. Bye. <clears throat> okay, yeah. So, Mothership. Uh, yes. A sci-fi horror RPG. This, I'm excited to go over this. I wanted to do it for a while. We haven't got a chance to play it. I do believe sooner than later, we'll, we will be playing it on the Adventure Archive, either on um, on a Thursday with Jason or once Dark Kingdoms ends, which will be in the next six to eight weeks. Um, I'll run it on Wednesdays, so. Oh, on Wednesdays, huh? Yeah, I think after Dark Kingdoms ends, which again is sooner than later, um, I'm probably going to do the similar thing to Thursday, uh, but I want to, there's games that I want to do campaigns in. Uh, so I want to do some short arcs in those different games to see which one kind of like 
clicks with people and the group and stuff totally. like that. So I want to run like Spire. I want to do Simbaroom. Um I still haven't read Spire. Uh, I should read Spire. You should. It's really good. Um, so uh, and and one or two other ones that I want to hit. Uh, so we'll probably do like three to three to six game arc of of three to four different games. Uh, maybe sprinkle in you know one shots or short adventures of some other random games. Uh, until we settle in on a uh, campaign probably towards like the beginning of summer Um, but it won't be another two-year thing it'll be like sub 20 you know sessions not 5e i can't even i'm not even going to get into it if you listen podcasts before you know how i feel about 5e um i'm just over it and i want to run something different (laughs) i'm just not a fan anymore you know um so so yeah but mothership so uh, generally, we like to uh, read through the game pretty heavily before this, but this was a, a rough week for my sleep and my health and stuff, and I did not get to read the whole thing. So we're going to see this for either. the first time. I had some projects to work on for that course I'm taking right now, and I read the mechanics, and I liked them. So um, I do as like as this I got. game. I've gone yeah. through it all the way before. Um, but yeah, usually mm-hmm. we refresh the week of. Um, I went through mechanics. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. I really do like this. I still haven't had a chance to play it either." Um, even though I own like a bunch, I own a bunch of adventure modules oh, for Mothership. Man, this in, this entire section right here. Yeah, <laughs> I probably have like fifteen things. Yeah, um, that are now obsolete thanks to first edition. Um, oh yeah, because this is artwork. because this is the zero edition or alpha or beta or whatever you want to call it, and that makes no fucking sense. It's been out for four years. Three plus. Um, I don't understand the rationale of not calling this first edition and the one coming out second edition. Uh, it makes absolutely no fucking sense. Those in podcast land, if my NVIDIA broadcast is on correctly, you can't hear me smashing this book on the table. Um, but I am, and that will never not bother me, no matter how much I love Mothership, that this is not it just really bothers you. It really does. And and I, I don't care literally at all. I do not care at all. So yeah. they so, can call uh, it fucking the, the purple edition and the red edition for all I care. I don't give a shit. That would make more um, sense to me. It's, um, it's the new one versus the uh, the OG one. So this is the OG one that we're reading today. The first edition, <laughs> the one that just back that just came out on Kickstarter, uh, is supposed to deliver, I believe, in November of this year. So one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode is so that we can uh dig through this and then when the other one comes out i know there's a conversion kit um but we're going to dig through that one as well and compare and contrast the two um and kind of see which one we like because i have a feeling that people are going to uh stick with this one versus a new one and or mix the two together for the parts they like the best um yeah Jeff, uh, I read that as well. Um, and they do have a conversion kit that you can get on as part of the Kickstarter where you can switch over. But as part of the Kickstarter, um, between Hull Breach and Kickstarter, I think a lot of the modules that I have now, uh, I'm just going to get 1E versions yeah. between the two, between Hull Breach and, and this one. Um, but and yeah, I, was I know looking that at they, what they posted about the yeah. conversions. And it's it looks, I mean, it's really, really simple. It does look very, yeah. very simple. Um, yeah. It looks like uh, everything I've, I've read, they took a, they really just streamlined and perfected a lot of stuff. I, there was nothing I read that they were changing. And I was like, why are they doing that? Everything I was like, oh, it's a good idea. Cause they wanted to keep it like that very streamlined, very rules light um, esque. Um, yeah. I'm excited for the changes, honestly. 
Yeah, yeah, it seems, I mean, from what I've heard, it sounds reasonable. Um, but like I said, I'm really curious, and I'd love to get a game of this in before we get a game of the next one in, just to see how much it actually streamlines the game versus just the mechanics like looking more streamlined too. So we'll see. But uh, but yeah, so getting into it, uh, the very uh, inside of the front cover um, gives you a, a large list of weapons, their cost, their damage, um, ammunition, all that kind of thing. Everything from uh, flare guns and laser cutter and nail guns to, to stun batons and vibachete, which I assume is a vibrating machete. Um, so, yeah. Uh, one of the things that immediately sticks out to me when I get to the um, the table of contents is that this PDF is not hyperlinked at all. Ooh. At all. Mothership. Mothership. What Sean McCoy? What are you? What are you doing? What, no, what, what number what? the number of chapters too though? Because you'd like to know like oh yeah I want to get to eight one. Oh, oh this is this is uh, very Troika esque in that each each section uh, is is numbered. So you know three one three two three three twenty six one twenty six two twenty six three and that's beautiful. I love that you can just be like oh yeah check out section like eleven two. It'd be a lot better if I could click on that and take me to it. Um, I don't, it's been a long time since we, 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 we like a hyperlinked PDF and I like the, the more hyperlinks, the better. Again, Troika is a perfect 10. It's amazing. Perfect layout. Um, it's been a long time since we found a PDF that wasn't hyperlinked at all. Cause even Lancer had like a weird random hyperlink to like one thing that I might've been a mistake. Um, Maybe. but I can't I believe, I can't believe this PDF isn't hyperlinked at regardless all. at all. Um, anyway, uh, getting into page uh, there, page one, I guess, character creation. Uh, first of all, the the two things struck stuck out to me right away. One, it's super easy. Um, yes, and totally. two, uh, on the back cover, uh, and we'll get to that, is all the basic rules. Uh, and on page two is an example uh, character sheet. Uh, I love the way that they have everything laid out with like it's like a it's like a flow chart. Everything has arrows to the things that you need it oh, to yeah. go to everything that's next. It explains everything like when you look at this page, for example, I'm actually going to rotate it. Uh, um, I should just be able to just rotate it. Rotate clockwise. Just this page. Yes. Let's do that again. Just this page. And let's do it one more time. Nice. All Almost right. there. We're doing it. We're doing it. Boom. If you're listening we got to it. us, I know you're having a great time right now because we're yeah. doing something visual. Should very stimulating. Uh, I rotated in, in the book <laughs> the pages sideways and I rotated it so we can read it normally. So long story short, uh, it literally has it's each section is numbered. So number one says you roll this and then there's a dotted line that takes you to number two, pick a class. Uh, and then from there, there are arrows that take you to your different scores. It tells you what scores to add and what modifiers to add all with little arrows that that literally walk you through and each section is numbered so you know number two is pick a class number three is where is number three follow the arrows uh oh i don't know i'll find it uh number four is take notes uh, long story short top, it's top above teamster three mark your starting and uh starting oh, skills and spend skill points 
there you go. So anyway, let's actually go through it. Um, and and their example in the book is basically like, you got there late, the warden is ordering pizza, make a character sheet, and you'll be able to do it by the time he orders a pizza. And you pretty much will, it's really easy. So um, section 1.1, you roll 6d10 for each of your stats. Uh, Mothership uses d10s for everything, so grab a handful and get rolling. You roll 6d10 for each stat and record the results in order, starting with strength, then speed, intellect, and finally combat. A stat of 30 is about average, but don't get too hung up on your numbers right now. Then there's a section that says read more about stats on page 3.2. Would be dope if that was hyperlinked. If you just write um, that, you just click it, it takes you to 3.2. <laughs> but it is not. It is not hyperlinked, uh, which is just upsetting. Um, so that's probably section... that, that's funny because that one criticism is frankly such a specific to us. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's specific to it's us. Like, in in 2022, when a lot of people are going to get PDFs in almost every book, especially from Exalted Funeral or Spearwitch or World yeah. Champ, whatever comes with the PDF, being able to navigate it quickly online is really important. Because if I'm playing this game, right, I want to be able to navigate quickly to a yeah. rule. So I don't have it's not like flipping through a page. Like one of the worst things is being at a at a table and wasting time by like trying to find a rule. Well, let me look at this rule. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily like, there are it, less rules in this game. So. Yeah. But if you're playing it digitally, it would be really great to be able to just hyperlink directly to that rule. If you're not just going to say, fuck it, we'll find it next time uh, to be able to link to it uh, really quickly. So I, I think it's it's a it's a readability and function issue that. Yeah, I know, think it's a valid criticism, but it's so funny because I really do think it's like a thing that we are we harp on maybe more than the other yeah, people do. Yeah. And listen, anyone that's listened to the podcast knows that I will often have very strong opinions about like little things that don't really matter. Um, and uh, and I know you're you're on board with me for the hyperlinking, but I think I I'm like way. You, you need, I'm like I'm like I don't know why you wouldn't because um, it's just a you know it's like a you know hour tops of extra work. Well, I mean I guess if you go out and do it post, it's actually a lot longer. But if you do it while you yeah. make the book, it's a lot shorter. Um, but I'm I'm like this this I don't like oh, oh, oh. anyway uh, so anyway so uh, so you roll your stats you got the four stats that we talked about strength speed intellect and combat you pick a class there's only four classes in the base book uh, which are interesting uh, teamsters are rough and tumble crew uh, it says it's like Ripley from aliens they're scientists which are doctors and researchers and anyone who wants to slice open aliens uh, or infected crew members um, androids are a terrifying and exciting addition to any crew. They tend to unnerve other crew with their cold inhumanity. And Marines are ready to shoot bugs and chew bubblegum. Um, this, to me, I know it is sci-fi horror. Uh, I kind of didn't realize just how, like, um, like this is Alien. Like, the movie alien. alien. This oh, is literally, so, like... Oh, it's so fucking Alien. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um... Which I'm, I'm here for. Like, that is, like... I read that and I was like, oh, this is 100% alien and I love this. And I um, I yeah. actually, when I first read this, I listened to um, Critical Roles. Uh, they have a they have a um, mothership um, homebrew that they run. And it's yeah, well, they, just mer- alien. They, mixed, they mixed mothership and the alien game from Free and League the alien together. RPG. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. It was a lot of fun. So I was like, yeah. oh yeah, running this would be glorious. Yeah, I haven't got to watch that yet, um, but I do want to because it'd be really interesting to see like how they homebrew to uh, homebrew the two together. But yeah, so you basically got Team Surge, you got regular crew members, scientists, androids, and Marines. 
Um, so, uh, if you were going to pick one, who would you pick? What would you pick? Uh, uh, Android. Yeah. 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 yeah Android. Be absolutely. Neat. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably go Android too, but if we're in the same game, since you picked Android, I'd probably go scientist. Um, cool. Respectful. So you put a check. Respect. Yeah. So you put a check in the circle above the class you picked. Um, uh, and then, uh, each class has their own starting save values, which represent how resistant they are to different kinds of trauma, danger, or damage. Um, the other thing is Oxford Commons people, let's use them. Um, you have four different saves, sanity, fear, body, and armor. So, um, as it says, uh, when you click your class, those saves are already put in there. Uh, right. you get base save. So for example, so Android has 20 sanity, 85 the fear. The lowest sanity score. <laughs> yeah. But by far the highest fear score. I mean, the average score is like a 30 and the fear score for an Android is 85. 85. Um, and the average body score is a 30, but you get 40 on body. Um, but the average uh, armor score is, uh, it's 35, 30, and 40 for the other ones, but armor is 25. So you have a lower sanity and armor, but a drastically higher fear and a higher body. So uh, the way that they lay them all out is really interesting. I did not do the math to see if all of the points add up, but I can only imagine that fear... I did not either fear, this time. But I can only imagine that fear of 85 does not mean all of these it add is, up to no, the same it, number. It can't. There's it no can't. way mathematically yeah, it can. But it looks like they average about a hundred and three times four Ish. is twelve. About 120, 130. Um so yeah, about 120 or 130 for your total yeah. score numbers, which don't matter if it's more like averages, the total number doesn't matter. Um, but yeah. you get to you get those. So you you roll 60 10 for each of your base stats, speed, strength, intellect. Uh, it's my mom's birthday. I got to remember to uh, to text her. Someone remind me later. Um, and then you get the sanity, fear, body, and armor. So you get stats and saves, uh, which is which is a cool little thing. I enjoyed that. Um, I'll roll so, 60, 10. Uh, if you follow the arrows at the bottom of each class column, you'll see that each class alters your starting stats a little bit. Example, the Teamster class provides plus five to both strength and speed. So again... Looking at the the example page, if you go to uh, underneath Teamster, there's an arrow that goes back to arrows between strength and speed. So you get a plus five uh, to your strength and speed score. So whatever this person rolled, you add an additional plus five to that. Uh, so it goes backwards, the arrows do. So you pick the Teamster, and then you go back, you add five. So Android gives you a plus five to uh, speed, and, speed intellect. and intellect. Yeah. Yep. And then scientist gives you a plus five to a plus 10 to just intellect. So it looks like you get a bonus 10 points based on your, uh, your um, uh, class that you pick. Uh, Marines get a uh, plus five whenever a friendly Marine is nearby. It says plus five slash plus five. Um, so they so get a plus five and then an extra plus five whenever it looks like it's plus five and then an extra plus five whenever a friendly Marine is nearby. Is that how you read that? I That's how I'm reading it. I'm not going to say it's factually correct, but that that's how it reads to me. Yeah. Seems reasonable. I was just... 
I could not fathom because there is no real explainer on what the plus five slash plus five. Oh, it's plus five slash plus five and every Marine is nearby. That makes sense. Pimmed ass and, 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 and all the others, things like that. So yeah, that makes sense. So you get a base plus five to combat and another plus five and a Marine is nearby. So if you rock two Marines and a crew, uh, you get a plus 10 as long as they're near you, which is cool. That's pretty cool. I would say nearby yeah. would be like invisible range, you know, uh, so uh so that's cool uh so 1.3 mark your starting skills and spend your starting skill points so this is neat um each class comes with pre comes preloaded with some relevant skills which help them perform better different challenges uh and then there's a really neat skill tree which i which i like um there's trained skills expert skills and master skills um and i know the skill trained. tree is one thing they simplified in the um they changed a couple of names and then they made yeah. so there's a couple of these where like the order in which you get them apparently i think didn't really make sense and i think they streamlined that uh, or something well i also i also don't like the percentages uh i wish gosh for any of the nurses out there listening it's like when you have to do your um like hourly glucose for like dka and they tell you to subtract based on your glucose number, but then you change your your rate by a percentage instead of just a flat number, which drives me nuts. But that is for a very niche audience. I just announced that too, uh, that I don't <laughs> think cares. Uh, so none of you really. So, but it's like you get a plus ten percent or a plus fifteen or a plus twenty. Um, uh, so do you just pull out your calculator and just change your score by ten percent? Ten percent's easy. Yeah. I guess ten percent is fifteen is technically easy too. I guess it's just ten plus half of ten. I mean, you're just yeah, you're just rolling two d tens for everything. Like you're rolling essentially a hundred for everything, right? So, you know. Yeah, but the scores each class has oh, number of points yeah. to spend on skills. Yeah, spend all your skill points now, keeping in mind the cost. So, train skills cost one point, extra skills cost two points, and master skills cost three points. To take an expert or master skill, you must first take one of its prerequisite skills. So, as I said, as we said before, it is a skill tree. You have to take a train skill, and then as everything else, there are arrows that show you uh, 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 what other uh, skills you can take. So, for example, uh, in order to get to um, genetics in an expert skill, you have to first take biology, which can also give you psychology. Um, so it's interesting, but you get uh, skills base and points to spend. So in the example, um, the Lilith uh, had spent, uh, had become a teamster. So she gets the skills zero G uh, and mechanical repair. And then she gets to pick one of either heavy machinery or piloting and then gets an additional four points. So, um, they, uh, they get three to start and spend two. And in the example, uh, she takes her two points, um, and she, sp her four points and spends it on, uh, an extra skill from piloting to astrogation, which is basically navigating space. Um, and a second one on mechanical repair goes to vehicle specialization, the mining frigate which is the ship that they're in um so step three is pick your skills uh spend your skill points step four take note on higher class deals with stress and panic each class deals with stress and panic differently which will come into play later in the game go ahead and mark your class's special rules with a check for your future reference so um for the example so the Android. She... yeah oh god like I said, no, for we'll Android, do the Android first example, saves, yeah. uh, made in the presence of androids 
have disadvantages. <laughs> so basically, because you already have that kind of like uncanny valley thing that freaks people yeah, out. I, I already creep people out so bad that when they're trying to save for fear, I'm already fucking afraid. That's really funny. There you go. Uh, and then the Teamster example is once per session, Teamster may re-roll a roll on the panic effect table. Huh. So it's just curious. Scientists, whenever a scientist fails a sanity save, every friendly player nearby gains one stress. And whenever a Marine panics, every friendly player nearby must make a fear save. So Teamster actually gets kind of like maybe a better thing. Like you're already panicked. You can just roll one that maybe not quite be so bad or it could be worse. But otherwise, obviously, yeah, your stress and panic are not good things. So it's like a that sucks. Um, and then 1.5, pick a starting loadout and roll a random trinket and patch. There's four different starting equipment packages to choose from. Um, they're here for your convenience, so you don't have to spend a lot of time shopping. And then you roll a random trinket and patch from pages 19 and 20. Would be dope if that linked to 19 and 20. Um, your trinket and patch don't have any mechanical significance, but might give you insight. It's 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 cool background stuff. Um, and then your armor also improves your armor save, which you should update now, which is on page 15 and 16. Would be dope if that linked. I'll stop saying that now. <laughs> um so uh, the, the example here uses excavation as their loadout. They get a crowbar, a hand welder, a laser cutter, a body cam, a bioscanner, infrared goggles, a lockpick set, a vac suit with an oxygen take mag boots and short range comms. Um, and then the trinket that they rolled was a cigarette. Uh, it says grinning skull and their patch says allergic to bullshit. Uh, let's go to page 19 and 20. I want to see what some Dude. of these patches and stuff are. And why don't you roll a D100 on a trinket and a patch, and we'll see what it says. Okay, I got a 92. Oh, damn. So you get a trench shovel. Ah, That's nice. Good. Good. Uh... Number 20 is a pamphlet that is against human simulacrum, which I can only believe is uh, uh, anti-Android propaganda. Anti <laughs> oh, that's yeah. weird. Yeah. Very cool. That's neat. I like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and then what is your patch? Roll me another D100. There's some sick ones in here. I got a 45. 45 is a mud flap girl. I assume that's the, like, the sideways profile like sitting down <laughs> here with the titties that are on the back of the mud Perfect my android we got, we got a shovel to bury all the corpses in space i guess and then uh you know titties the, the number 88 is a patch that says bad bitch um what else what else is uh soviet cross uh hammer and sickle there's patches bar these are great this might be my favorite thing that i've read in a long time um Dilligaff. That's a fun one. Yeah, so, yeah. 38 is Chibi Cthulhu. <laughs> little, cute, <laughs> little cute Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, there's a red shirt logo. That's dope. Um, and there's a blood type reference patch. So, yeah. Oh, a one size fits all and it's a grenade. Yeah. Um, and one that says drink, fight, fuck. So a lot of really, really cool things on here. Um, I like that a lot. The patches really, uh, really tickle my fancy there. It's really I pretty funny, that. honestly. That's it's cool. like a cool extra cool. thing that like 
almost at a certain point doesn't matter except that it does because it gives personality to your character in the situation. I really like And that's exactly what it says. It does have no mechanical significance, but gives you insight into what your character is like. I love it. That one of those patches could totally define your personality. If you got like the like the bad bitch one and you decide to wear that on your suit in space. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Um, number 1.6, so step six in character creation, is the finishing touches. Fill out your stress, which starts at two, so you just write into two. Your resolve, which starts at zero. Uh, and your max health, which is just two times your strength. Your starting credits, which is 5d10 times 10. And give yourself a name and rank if you want one. And that's it. So it's six steps to character creation, character creation which is super easy. Uh, number one, you roll 60, 10 for your stats. Number two, you pick your class and write down their saves. Number three, uh, your starting skills and spend your skill points. Number four um, is just take note of your stress and panic. Number five is pick a loadout and roll trinkets to patch. And number six is just um, fill out the the rest of your stuff, which is just stress, resolve, health, and credits across the top. Super easy. I mean, you could yeah, you could make easy. this you could make this in like five minutes. Easy peasy. Yeah, which is good because there's a lot of funnel adventures for this where they're like, yeah, you should have 10 to 15 characters because you're going to lose all of them. And you're awesome. like, oh, God, it's going to take a while. And then you look at this, you're like, oh, no, it's fine. This is a very replicable, like, process. So uh, moving into, um, I guess this would be, chap- I guess, page three, chapter three, whatever. It's section three. Dice, stat, dice, stat checks, advantage, and disadvantage. Uh, Mothership plays like many other RPGs. You and your friends get together, the warden, blah, blah, blah. We know how RPGs work. So you roll dice, okay? Except it's called uses... the warden in this game, guys. You're not, yeah, you're not because... the dungeon master. You're not the game master. You're yeah. the warden. For those that aren't aware, uh, dungeon master is a copyrighted, trademarked thing, so you can't call anything a dungeon master um, But you can call stuff D&D. a DM because DM is not trademarked. You just have to imply it means something else. Like yeah, Dickmeister like, or something like, like that, you know? Dragon Master. <laughs> no, Dickmeister. From now on, anytime I play a game that doesn't have a set thing, I am the Dickmeister. Um, oh, God. Um, Mothership uses uh, standard D10s for all of its rolls, though it uses them in three different ways. Um, it's XD10, so you roll a certain number of D10s and add them together. 2D10 would give you a number between 2 and 20. Um, XD10, but it's underlined. Note the underline. This means to roll a certain number of D10s and add them together and multiply the result by 10. So underline 2D10 would give you a number between 20 and 200. If you have a set of D10s with just the tens digits on them, they're perfect for rolls like this. Uh, or D percentage, which is you roll 1D10 and it's underlined and 1d10 and add them together, reading the result as a percentile. So you can just have percentile dice too. So you have yeah. dice that are zero through um, zero through 10 or like the double zero through the actual yeah, number the, 10, 20, yeah. fo- 20, 40, 60, 80, all of those things. Uh, this gives you a number between zero and 99. So for those that don't know how to roll percentile dice, you take the big one, like that has like 40, 50, 60, 70, <laughs> you roll it. And if you get a seven, that's 70. And then you roll the little one, and if you get a four, you don't have 74. You don't add them together or anything like that. That is just how it works. There's a ones digit and a tens digit. Um, so, but here's the thing. Uh, people read percentile dice weird and different, right? So right. like the only way to roll a, uh, 
like I, can you it, let's ex, let's talk about this out loud can you you to roll a one how do you roll a one do you do double zero and a one oh because technically like how do you what is the difference between a roll of a zero and a hundred like a one and a hundred you know what I'm saying? Uh, well, for for the hundred, I always well, yeah, holy, uh, because the dice uh, technically goes from a, a ten dice goes from one to ten, right? And uh, the the you know the tens dice goes from ten to a hundred, right? So technically, like a double zero is, is a one hundred, right? Yeah. So you can technically get like a hundred and ten. Right? right see like people read percentile dice differently so really for the i think i think the way they split that rule because they definitely don't mean for you to get 110 is for the 10 right. die to work one way and then the other 10 die the 100 die to work another way which is that on the 10 die the right the the one spot in the in the thing that you're rolling like the 10 is a 10 on the 100 die the zero is a zero um, because uh -huh. if I roll a not if I roll a nine and I roll like if I roll a nine on the tens di dice right and then I roll a ten on the ones dice that's a hundred yeah that makes that's a reasonable way to read that so technically yeah the double zeros would have to be a zero and the only way to get a hundred is what you just said is to roll a ninety and a ten a ninety and a and a one so yes. a nine and a one well, yeah yeah well ninety and a zero um, on the ten die. Because the zero no. is oh the zero is the ten yeah 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 because the one is one yeah. yeah yeah but you see how people like don't or you can like, just say on the nine and the ninety nine is the highest you can get I mean it's not like you're gonna fail at ninety nine anyway yeah. so well and I and I bring that up because there is a section here that talks about uh, rolling like a zero and stuff like that we'll get to it I don't remember what it is. Um, but whenever you want to do something, and so section three, two stats and stat checks, whenever you want to do something and the price for failure is high, you must roll under the appropriate stat on D percentage. Otherwise you fail. This is called a stat check. So the basic premise of this game is a roll under like percentile dice, like D 10 percentile dice system. That's it. It's super easy to understand. Like, and that's why your scores are like, well, the problem too, is your, your scores are average about a 30. Yeah. So that means you literally only yeah. have a 30% chance of succeeding on anything. It's funny. Cause it's like another game that we're going through that like, they definitely mean for you to kill characters. Like, yeah, for sure. it's like, like okay. last week we went through red giant. They're like, your character's not supposed to last forever. This is not like a long epic. Like your character's going to die, bro. Yeah. Um, or or live epically uh, either way. So again, uh, there are four stats strength Which is how able-bodied you are lifting pushing hitting things speed was how quickly you act and react Intellect which is how knowledgeable and experienced you are in combat, which is how good you are at fighting uh, It's interesting to me. This is kind of a different, you know, kind of four four pack here uh, since your combat score is combat not is related to your speed or strength. Yeah, yeah. really really interesting. Yeah, um, seeing four stats is I, I think a lot of people put in like a like a charisma stat in there. Um, right. uh, but seeing combat as its own separate stat is is kind of neat um, because so much of the stuff that happens in space that is strength and speed related are strength and speed related, like the things that you're doing out in a spaceship versus yeah. fighting. So it, it's interesting. I'm curious to see how that would go. 
Um, and it's cool that you can have a character that's like, yeah, yeah, like my my scientist is really quick on his feet. You know, he's very agile. That doesn't affect combat at all because he's a scientist. You know, yep. I you know I actually think I like really kind of like that, and I'm I'm oh, a little I bit. I think about stealing it. No, I, I I like it. I think it's interesting, um, and I think it's really interesting specifically for this game, because um, again, this is not uh, you're not deriving numbers and modifiers off of like your base physical stuff in order to fight your you have a fight score which is which is cool um there are a few things that are commonly that commonly modify stat checks namely advantage and disadvantage and crits and skills so situational advantages and disadvantages whenever you make a stat check and you have a situational advantage you roll your percentile die twice and use the better result some examples of advantages are assistance from another player attacking from surprise i think they missed a little double arrow situation there um being in cover taking certain oh, drugs yeah. so if you rip a line it's before advantage. it's advantage yeah. like so yeah but it's not like 5e where it's like you <laughs> only get advantage from these very specific things i like that this is more like a lot of more rules like games it's more like yeah when the when your dickmeister feels like giving you something <laughs> or you can convince them you know uh, <laughs> oh, it's gonna hang on for a while there. Yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're gonna have Dickmeister um, shirts. So yeah, the Dickmeister, like just right down the sleeve. Um, you can buy them in small, <laughs> medium, and extra large, and we're not talking about the shirt size. Um, the warden will decide on a case by case basis whether certain in-game actions or effects will confer advantage. Long story short, yeah, the warden decides. Yeah, disadvantage, same thing. Um, if you're on bad terrain, you're trying to do something real dumb. Um, you're in space, you're drunk, you're impaired, you get disadvantaged, the warden decides. So, moving into section four, critical hits and opposed checks. Uh, they have a few notes here on advantage and disadvantage. Um, advantage and disadvantage don't have to just be for stat checks. It can be used on any kind of roll, saves, damage, stress, or anything else. This is why we say disadvantage means, oh, this is important to know. Disadvantage means picking the worst result, and advantage means picking the best result. Uh, damage rolls with disadvantage, for example, would take the lower number rolled as opposed to the higher. Uh, and for simplicity, you can note uh, you can notate rolls with advantage, the plus and and uh, minus. There's also uh, sections that talk about rolling doubles, uh, and I don't think we've got that far yet. But there are times where uh, doubles will always be a critical failure. So even if you roll or like higher, for example. I think we're gonna, we're about to get into this. Um, yeah, we'll just get into it here. When you are in direct competition with another character, be that an enemy or a friendly crewmate, you roll what's uh, called an opposed check. To make an opposed check, you and your opponent roll, uh, both roll the stat check as usual. However, whoever rolls higher than the other person without going over their stat wins. So it's Jeopardy rules. No, no. Price is right. Uh, price is wrong bob um a few notes <laughs> critical hits beat regular successes even if the critical hit is a lower roll did i miss okay let's go back a little bit because i missed a section 4.1 critical hits and failures in the last example we showed you what a critical failure was before explaining it in order to illustrate how sometimes a higher number on a disadvantage roll isn't always the worst anytime you roll doubles on your percentile die roll, e.g. 55, 22, 99, that rolls what we call a critical. 
Uh, if the roll is a success, it's a crit success. If it's a fail, it's a crit fail. Uh, a roll of double zero is always a critical hit, and a roll of 99 is always a critical fail. Right. Um, Makes sense. So what they're saying later in the section we just went over with the pose checks is critical hits beat regular successes, even if the critical hit is a lower roll. So if you roll a 12, but I roll a 22, you rolled lower, but I win because I rolled a crit. Um, if you critically fail your roll, your opponent wins regardless of the roll. If you both succeed and tie, you re-roll. If you both fail, the situation gets worse and more complicated somehow for the both of you. So, Brutal. sucks to suck across the board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, opposed checks do not have to involve the same stat. I like how that's clearly laid out. They can involve saves as well. A basic case would be a race to see who gets through an airlock first. Both parties make an opposed speed check. You could also try to trick something into attacking in the wrong direction by making an opposed intellect versus combat check. That's interesting. Read more about saves on page seven. We're getting there. Uh, one of the things I really like, we're not going over them very often, but in just about every, no, not just about, in every single section, there is an example. There's an example of play. I, and I love that. It's so, if you have any questions at all, you're like, I'm not really sure what this looks like. It's so nice to be like, you don't have to, you don't have to wonder what this looks like. It's cleared up right here. Yeah. So, so on the character sheet in section one, there is a long bar that is that talks about Lilith and the thing and how she created a character sheet. Uh, in the advantage section, there is an example. Um, at the end of the advantage and disadvantage section, there's another example. Um, and right here at the end of the critical failures and opposed checks, there is yet another example. And they're decently long. So, to to give an example of the example. Uh, Marlo, an, ast <laughs> an astrogation android, is facing off against a deranged Void Raider. Both are unarmed, but between them lies a pulse rifle. Marlo's speed isn't that high, but his intellect is. He decides that racing the Raider for the weapon isn't his best option. Rather, he wants to trick the Raider into thinking he'll go after the weapon. Instead, he wants to go for the emergency release valve on the airlock, which will depressurize the cabin and suck the Raider into the void they so crave. The warden thinks this is a pretty interesting solution and so rules that this will be an opposed check, pitting Marlowe's intellect against the raider's instinct. Instinct is a catch-all stat that only NPCs and enemies use. Read more about that on section 21.1. Marlowe's intellect is 52, while the raider's instinct is 30. They both roll D percentage. Marlowe rolls a 9, a success. Unfortunately, the raider rolls a 20, which is also a success, but also a higher roll than Marlowe's. The raider catches onto Marlowe's scheme and leaves the gun where it is, lunging instead from Marlowe's jugular great example and again each section has at least one if not two uh examples of play that are very clearly laid out and i think they what i like is that they don't lay out like necessarily an average case they lay out like this is not just how an opposed check works you do strength versus strength this is using a variation on intellect versus instinct or whatever which is yeah. a good yeah good example so you don't get mixed up in like wait is that a normal one or is how does it do differently so uh, going into section five, um, which is skills. skills. Yeah. Skills represent the accumulated knowledge, craft, and technique uh, and training you possess. Whenever you make a stat check and you have a relevant skill and add your skill bonus to the stat, giving you a higher number to roll under. Every class starts with a few skills and gains more by leveling up. So this is, read more about these on section, on page 35 and 36. There are four different skill ranks. Are there? I thought there were only three on the tree. Did I completely miss 
Um, well, untra- untrained is considered the rank. Oh, untrained is, is but it's not. Yeah, so okay, zero, okay. zero percent bonus is gotcha. considered the rank. Yeah. So you have yeah untrained skill. You have zero to no experience. Uh, you get no bonus. Um, depending on how complex the skill is, you might even roll with disadvantage. Ooh, Which I think is fair. I mean, like yeah, like if you yeah. try xenobiology or whatever, and you're not, you know, you have no idea. It's like yeah, dude, you're gonna roll a disadvantage yeah. for that because you have no fucking idea what you're doing. Well, that's one of the things in five E that bugs me is I I like when people are like, uh, can I roll a check for this? And the DM is like, are you trained in that? No. Well then, no. Like. Uh, and the whole problem with, again, a D20 is it's a 5% chance of every number. So yeah. technically, you could be like dumb as rocks and roll a 20 and succeed. And yeah, you know, still succeed. And there is no average for doing it. And someone who is like super skilled could technically roll like a 2 and fail. And you could have no skill at all and roll 18 and succeed. And it's literally random dice. It's not even like on average, you'll probably get it. The modifier helps, right? But that still doesn't. Yeah. You know, um, I like that you have to be trained or getting training actually gives you a nice big bonus, but not being trained potentially gives you disadvantage. So train gives you plus 10%. Um, you've received standard training in this area equivalent to a bachelor's degree or on the job training for a couple of years. So, so say you have, so say you have an average score of a 30, right? And you're right. trained in it. Your role underscore is now a 33, Right. Am I completely off base? 10% of 30 is three. So you just oh, add I that was, in. I was reading it as plus 10%. Like it's, you have a third, like it's 30% plus 10% is four, but I, I'm, I could be totally wrong. I'm, I'm, Oh, you know, <clears throat> I thought the oh, math I was don't. more simple than that because like, since it is inherently a percentage role, right? So if you have a 30, right, you have a, um, you know, 30% chance of, rolling correctly but if i have a plus 10 percent bonus to my 30 percent it's 40 percent so i would have to roll under 40 but it's not oh, just yeah. a percent is it because you're you and to get your scores you rolled 60 10 which would be 60 like there's not like a, it's not like you did 10 d 10 for a percentage of 100 out of, it's out of 100 for the roll like yeah you don't roll a d 100 because you can't get 100 like rolling like t- the these tens is to keep you like measured, but I still read it as like, yeah, you have a 30 in that. We well, have a 30% chance, which you do of succeeding. Um, so if you have a skill bonus plus 10% to the overall, like out of a hundred percentage, it's like, well, then you have a 40% chance of succeeding. I, if you're, a ma- so- if you're a master, you have a 50% chance of succeeding, you know? So we're going to have to keep reading to see if that's real, because honestly, as soon as we start talking about percentages and math and stuff like that, my brain just shuts down. Yeah, because uh, why would they give you the math to do like that? Like, yeah, like for 30, it's easy, right? Because it'd be 3%, right? Because you just get rid of the zero. But let's say you have like a 50. The, yeah, I mean, I guess you could just it for 10% it's easy. But when you get into 15%, 20% and 10% are easy, but 15% always fucks me up for some reason. Well, um, 15% <laughs> is just 10 plus half of whatever 10 was. I just if that's the way that they mean for that those that rule to be read, I would be surprised because that would slow down a game that they very obviously want to be pretty fast paced. Whereas adding ten um, to it makes sense. But then why wouldn't you just say plus ten then plus fifteen plus twenty? Having the percentage means no. Uh, I mean, I could very well be wrong. I would. I'm just. I would be very surprised. If they're like, yeah, you're going to do the math at the table and you're going to add it like. 
I don't know. It just seems a little like, not like it'd be super duper difficult, but for a game that's obviously supposed to be super easy to play, like why would they, you know? Well, let's let's read it, I guess, more thoroughly and try to figure out what it really means. Skills represent accumulated knowledge. Whenever you make a stat check and you have a relevant skill, you add your skill bonus to your stat, giving you a higher number to roll under. That, yeah. That's right. But your stat is 30 plus 10%. Right? Like, it's not the percentage. Like, you're like we're, we're saying this is like your stat. You have a relevant skill. You add your skill bonus to your stat and then roll. It's not like giving you a higher number to roll under. Each class starts with a few skills and gains more by leveling up. There are four different skill ranks. So again, trained is plus 10%, expert is plus 15, master is plus 20. And a master means you're a luminary in your field, you're cutting edge, you're tip top. All skills start as untrained, you don't have the skill. By taking a trained skill, you unlock expert and master skills. Below is non-comprehensive list of skills, and then you can make up some other ones, which is really cool. There's even blank spots on the character sheet. Uh, not in the trained section, but in the um, expert and master section that have that are just empty and i assume that's for you to be able to uh write in or it's just filling like in empty spaces customs. but they didn't have as many yeah 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 um so i'm i'm really really curious and the thing is like for me what i'm thinking right now is like so for master right so let's say you have a skill you have the 30 in, the, in that uh you have 30 in that stat your masters that you get plus six to that role because that's it on a d100 that's so negligible that's a that, that's Almost nothing. Uh, I'm gonna look Google and just see what I can find on Google while we keep going. But you yeah, can keep going. I'll keep I'll keep going. But like, yeah, I wish there was an example of play. Let's see if there is one later. So this is the one where it's not an example of a skill. I'm like, okay. Well, well that's not. I mean, we're, we we might be able to go farther down to see what the saves and and the stuff is. But yeah, there. So train skills. There's some ones that that are like exactly what you think they are like mechanical repair and driving and stuff like that but there's some interesting ones in here that i like like astrogation which is navigation in outer space um and that's an expert skill and then there's master skills xenobiology which is alien biology and xeno esotericism which is obscure alien mysticism religion and belief they did use an oxford comma there thank you so much uh, that's a pretty cool one, actually. I like that skill a lot. I like Xeno Esotericism. <laughs> really obscure neat. alien mysticism religion. There's a lot of very like, there's a, a wide range of horror of space horror that you can really run with this game, um, and I really appreciate that. Uh, so we're getting into saves. Uh, there is an example play on saves, and saves also use a D percentage. So, so when we get to okay. the example, let's see if it does anything. Oftentimes, a mothership, you won't have control over what happens to you. Strange organisms will attack. Long story short, uh, a save represents how resistant you are to different kinds of danger and damage. Uh, and it's when something happens to you, not when you do something. So I think basically checks are you do something, saves or something is done to you. You have Makes four sense. saves. Uh, sanity, fear, body, and armor. Sanity is your ability to explain away logical inconsistencies in the universe, rationalize and make sense out of chaos. Fear is how well you cope with emotional trauma. Uh, body is your reflexes and how well you can resist hunger, disease, and other things. And armor is how resistant you are to damage sustained through combat, like uh, teeth, claws, and teeth. So again, this is a very different system that I do enjoy, that your combat and armor are is a check and a save versus a derived number based on your other stats. Because again, in 5e, uh, you have the armor that you wear 
plus your dexterity score. Um, and then obviously like your weapons are based on your strength and um, uh, dex scores. And that's how your combat works. But in this, there's a specific armor save and a specific combat roll, which is really, really interesting. I like how yeah, they separate I mean, it completely from all the other stuff. I do like that as well. Also, um, Reddit is somebody asked the exact same question on the Mothership Reddit the, that we're asking. And the consensus is that the name of the, the system is a misnomer. It, it, it is like a if you have a 35 plus 10 percent, it's 45 like you have 30 like the way i'm thinking about it, 35% chance to succeed well you get 10% bonus when you have a 45% chance to succeed so you have to roll under 45 so they should just take the percentages off cuz that's incredibly yeah or they should add the percentages onto your stats so that it's, it's consistent in one direction or the other now, they should either take it off the bonus or add it to the stats cuz your stats don't say 30% they just say 30 no, um, yeah they just say yeah yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So yeah, I I, I can only imagine like that's the, one of the things they'll streamline in the in yeah. the one E because that makes yeah, I it that, literally says it makes a lot more 10%. sense too because yeah. like honestly if you have a twenty percent bonus and you only have like yeah like a forty it's like okay well that's a that's an eight you know it's, it's a like not really yeah. it's not really yeah. worth anything at that point it's not really a master of anything but yeah what you were saying makes a lot more sense. As far as how the role would work. An application, yes. But um, reading but it and when it says yeah. plus 10%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saves are not rolls you make willingly. Uh, you make saves and something bad might happen to you and you have to resist it. Uh, to make a save, you roll D percentage equal to or under your save value, just like a stat check. If you fail your save, you'll gain one or more stress. Additionally, you may suffer some other consequences like taking damage. Um, if you critically fail a save, you'll have to make a panic check. Rolling a critical success could mean a wide variety of things, depending on the context. A crit success on a sanity save may grant you further insight. Um, uh, strange perfect artifact. Or in the case of an armor save, you give a chance to counterattack. All of these cases are ultimately up to the warden. Huh. So reading this example, this has got to be a saber check, and hopefully there's like a, a, a skill. So let's see. While investigating the cause of a recently abandoned mining colony, Lilith and Abel... They're very biblical on these examples. Like Lilith is the first example. Yeah. No, I'm saying that the names like Lilith and Abel are both biblical names. Yeah. Um, Lilith was the in the Apocrypha, Adam's first wife before Eve. Um, and she was too much of her own person and not subservient enough. So uh, they made Eve and Abel is obviously Cain and Abel. Um, Lilith and Abel encounter a massive artifact. The artifact casts no shadow and alter... Uh, cast no shadow, and after touching it, Lilith and Abel are surprised by two strangers in vac suits. The strangers are also surprised by Lilith and Abel after taking off their helmets. It's apparent why. They are Lilith and Abel. The warden calls for sanity save from both Lilith, sanity 30, and Abel, sanity 25. Lilith rolls a 76, and she fails. The warden rules that she'll gain 1d10 stress from shock. Abel, however, doesn't get off that easily. He rolls a 33 at crit fail. He'll gain 1d10 stress and have to make a panic check. What's worse, Abel is a Marine, so if he fails his panic check, Lilith will have to make a fear save. Things can spiral out of control quickly when someone fails a save. Well, they Damn. really can. Like, man, the, the moment one person fails, and there's a couple of examples of, like, your abilities, like if the doctor fails, like a fear save or whatever. But, like, yeah, that's a... You can really go down the drain real quick. It reminds me of... a. Did you ever play Darkest Dungeon? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like when your person starts panicking in the dungeon, it's like, well, the other ones are going to panic more now, too. It's like, well, shit, we're all fucked now. That's -hmm. really funny. I actually really like that. Um, so one thing I've noticed in this is it's it's not a super long book. It's like 36 pages or something like that, 38. Um, it's very dense and has very little art. Yes. In it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of words on the pages. Um, I yeah. think it's still fairly readable. Um, I'm actually not looking at the physical copy because I only have the PDF. So you have to speak for the physical copy. Um, the PDF is very readable. Um, maybe not yeah, so much just- as like into the odd or um or red giant or something where everything was like very centralized in the page and there was a lot less um but then i mean i don't think it's bad no no well this is also like a a double column pages too and there's more art later but outside of this the 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 page here on um gosh even some of the page numbers there aren't really page numbers on a lot of these uh page six in the pdf there's a random piece of art on the side of the um uh the table uh, like the skill tree and then there's this cool piece of like very like oil painting grays and white art that's clearly like a marine and then behind them is a quasi xenomorph looking thing with tentacles wrapping up by uh, another dude in a spacesuit behind him this is very um it's very interesting it's really cool oil painting you know? yeah it looks it almost looks like you're looking at it through something murky a little bit. It's definitely interesting. If you're and listening, I think yeah. It's on the bo- it's on the bottom of the pa- of page ten in the PDF. I'm not really sure what that is in the non PDF, but um at the bottom oh, of saves it's... is the art piece he's talking about. Yeah. It's gotta be page seven, I guess. Um so yeah, in 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 the book. Um yeah, so I think there's more later when we get into uh, like weapons and stuff like that. More art, that is. Uh, survival is hard in Mothership. You'll have to scrimp, save, and scavenge uh, to make it from one rock to the next. So we're doing crisis checks. Uh, when a single check seems too simple, you can use a crisis check. Crisis checks represent long margin of status. It's kind of like a skill challenge. So to make a crisis check, the warden first sets a crisis difficulty between one and three. And this is the number of stat checks in a row You'll need to succeed in order to overcome the current crisis. If you fail a check, in a you row. gain s- in a row. If you fail yeah. a check, you gain stress equal to the crisis difficulty and fail the crisis. So, like, if you say it's it set at two and you fail, you get two stress. But it says you can re-roll a failed crisis check by immediately taking one d10 stress. So you can succeed on the crisis check potentially. But every time you re-roll it, you gain you could potentially gain up to ten stress, which is a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah, and no matter what, the third time you fail a crisis check, the crisis ends, and you take your final stress as well as whatever else failure entails. The repairs don't work, etc. Man, it's uh, pretty for, unforgiving. Like I do skills yeah. che- skills checks a lot with a pass fail, like a clock uh, model, like we've talked about in like Nautilus, you know. Uh, but it's like, yeah, no, you fail, you fail. You got to do a couple in a row. Like, yeah. oh man. Uh, so some quick things here, food and water, uh, you can survive three weeks without food, but 24 hours without food, you're at disadvantage to all roles. You need a liter of water a day, um, but with strenuous activity and stuff, it'll, it'll make you, uh, it'll force you to make a body save or pass out if that's all you're having. When water is scarce, you're tracking it this closely, you're at disadvantage to all checks. Um, Mm. oxygen in space, you can last 15 seconds until you pass out. Uh, and after you pass out, you can survive three to five minutes. 
if all the ship's life support modules are destroyed, you take the ship's current hull, which is a number, you subtract 1d10, right. and then divide that by the number of living humans on board. Androids don't count. That's how many breathable days of oxygen you have left. That's a cool way to start an adventure. It's basically yeah. like you're on the ship. Boom, your last life support module fails. This is how much time you have left. That's neat. Uh, take the allotment of oxygen and assign it to every human aboard the ship. If the crew member dies, divide the remaining oxygen days amongst the rest of the crew. That's cool. Um, it is a very good, understandable system for like a for mm-hmm. for a scenario that you would go through in space. Um, I really did enjoy this when I was reading. I was like, oh, totally understand how to run this. Very easy to figure out. Love it. Uh, definitely gonna try to you know kill all of my crewmates. So um, oh, yeah. my player characters when I play this. So. Uh, once per day when dealing with rest, take a look at the total remaining oxygen amongst the crew. If less than half the original oxygen remains, every roll is made at disadvantage. All crew suffers headaches. If less than a quarter of the original oxygen amount remains, players must make a body save once per day or fall unconscious. Uh, and if a player runs out of oxygen, they must make a body save. Failure means they die. Success means they fall unconscious and leech oxygen from a random player every day. Crew members in cryo sleep are doing nothing but resting. Take up a quarter of an oxygen unit per day. Um, 8.4, earning credits. Everything in Mothership from fuel to food runs on credits. Owning a starship is expensive. Here are a few things you can do to earn credits. Uh, smuggling, raiding, hunting. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool so, list of jobs that you can do if you're trying to figure out. I mean, you could either, even just roll on this and make it a little sub-adventure for your group or whatever absolutely um going on to section nine um man we are not that far into this book are we no it's it's uh, actually super duper dense you know it's super dense yeah uh combat mothership is incredibly deadly and usually best avoided uh in favor of running and hiding so one of the things i really like and we'll get to it maybe at the end but the very back i assume the last page in the pdf but the back cover of the book uh has the basic mechanics all listed out uh, again in like a cool arrow tree, but then it has a flow chart of how combat works, which yeah, is really, cool. really incredibly <laughs> helpful, yeah, really cool. incredibly helpful. And it also has a section on opposed checks, defense, damage, movement, um, all that kind of stuff. But the, the combat flow chart makes this so easy. So we're going to go through all the sections of combat, um, but the back page on this is is pretty much all you need for a GM screen, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, makes it a player's cheat sheet. Makes it super, super easy. So 9-1, uh, you check for surprise. Sometimes various creatures, horrors, and denizens um, of long and spacecraft will sneak up on you. When this happens, you make a fear save. Failure means you become so surprised you are unable to act for one round, which is really cool. You're just stunned for a round and can't do shit because you're so surprised. Um, who goes first? After checking for surprise, you determine the turn order. First, you and your crewmates each make a speed check. Those who pass can act before the enemies. Those who fail act after. So there's no initiative. Every round, you roll a speed check. Interesting. Uh, those yeah. who fail... Yeah. Critical, I mean, I'm yeah. sure it's if everyone rolls at the same time and it's two dice, I'm sure it's pretty quick. Um, critical success gives you an extra action while critical failures reduce you to one action. I like that. And it's interesting that you could get that per round. So, um, characters with a tactical skill can add their skill bonus to their speed stat. 
and can also give their bonus to one other player. Characters with a command skill give all nearby crew members their skill bonus on these checks. That's cool. Here's the thing. I've never really... I don't. I like initiative in 5e. I like the whole, like, roll for initiative. Like, let's get everyone settled in. You know, my problem has never been with rolling initiative and figuring out who goes first. My problem with 5e combat, first of all, is that it the only thing you can really do is just make something more spongy, right? It's just right. you make combat longer. You just say this now has 500 HP and you just sit here grinding the same thing forever and ever. My issue has never been initiative or figuring out the turn order. My issue with 5e combat has always been um, keeping people invested when it's not their turn because each turn takes so long. Yeah. Um, I feel like this, though, having every round, people can't just sit back and wait for their turn. At the top of every round, they have to reroll to figure out when they're going to yeah. go and figure out if they're going to get one action or two actions. So I think this does a good job of uh, keeping people invested. And I don't even have a problem with how long 5e combat takes if it's fun. If it's dragging yeah, on forever, that's, that's a pain. Issue. I don't care. I, listen, if we have a long-ass combat session and everyone has a blast, I don't give a shit. It could be all we do that night, you know? But the ass problem combat. is that, like, yeah, and those... We, ass combat. Um, <laughs> uh, problem is that, we, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, right. I do like this. I mean, part, this of, it, part of that, too, is... It feels fast, you know? Yeah. Part, part of that, too, is players maintaining their investment in the thing when it goes long. Is people being excited for every roll. I think this helps keep people excited for every roll. So I, I, I like this. Um, 9.3, how long is a turn? Combat takes place in both rounds and turns. A turn is focused on one player, a round is all the players, just like most TTRPGs. Uh, it's roughly 10 seconds, which makes sense um, if you think about it, because the whole game runs on 10, so why not make it 10? Uh, therefore, someone who is killed before their turn does not get to act on their turn. Ooh, each character's turn happening roughly within that time, but in turn order, as opposed to all at once. Therefore, someone who is killed before their turn does not get to act on their turn. That makes sense. Uh, what can I do on my turn? Uh, the warden will tell you what you can do in one turn, uh, or you take multiple turns to accomplish all that you want. So generally, you can take two significant actions on your turns. Example of significant actions are, uh, but not limited to, attacking, bandaging a wound, firing a vehicle's weapon, using a computer terminal, uh, opening an airlock, operating a machine. Insignificant actions are moves like talking, taking cover as part of a move action, looking around, etc. So it's kind of like it's like actions and free actions. Um, but it says you generally get two significant actions. First, you and your crewmate each make a speed check. Those who fail, critical successes give you an extra action. It says you generally get two significant actions. Oh, because if you crit fail, it reduces you, you by one. But technically, yeah, you could get three. Gotcha. Insign okay, so how do I attack? Attacking is a specific kind of significant action performed by rolling an opposed check. In ranged combat, the attacker makes a combat check against the, def the defender's armor save. If the attacker succeeds, they roll their weapon's damage dice. So it's a it's it's not a roll against a, a static number roll over system every attack is an opposed check which right. makes sense if you think about the way it's done because you have a separate combat skill and a separate armor save yeah so it's not again a derived number or your armor is not derived from anything else so every every attack is 
is opposed, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, it is. I would be interested to to do that and play it out and see how I felt yeah. about it. Um, and it's not obviously this isn't player facing roles uh, since yes. Since things yeah, can roll combat scores against you. Yeah. In close quarters combat, the attacker makes a combat check as usual, but the defender can decide whether they want to oppose that roll with their armor save to defend or another combat check to counterattack or a body save to try and get out of CQC, close quarters combat, and run away. If two characters are wrestling or grappling, they would be a post rank check. So in in melee combat, there's three options. You defend. Yeah, it's very counterattack. Like there's, you have. Yeah. I, it's cool that you have like, yeah, you're in close range melee combat. Like you have more than. It's not just like, yeah, I just take the hit or a defend. Like yeah. you have a few different options. It's very cool. I'm curious though with the counterattack option, does that mean like you're gonna take damage but also try to do damage on that turn? I mean, you're not you're not rolling for an armor save, so I, that would right. imply to me that yeah, you're take like yeah, I'll take the hit, but I'm gonna hit him back. Um, that's interesting so you can get a hit when it's not your turn because uh, that's how i would rule that if it's the counter attack yeah. because but but so the problem though is it's an opposed check right so um and well no it says another combat check so i mean oh you mean opposed by them so all all attacks are opposed checks, is what it says, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess it does. I would be okay. It, Interesting. So the attacker makes a combat check as usual. The defender can decide whether they want to oppose that roll with their armor save to defend against the damage. Another combat check. So it's saying it's another combat, is in their combat and your combat to counterattack. So if it's opposed, I guess. So here's my thought: if it's the armor save, you're just saying I'm trying to not get hit. If you do an right. opposed combat check, you're basically trying to say, like, I want to hit them before they hit me, stopping their hit. So if you don't, I guess if you don't, um, if you fail that, I would assume that you would just take all the damage. Oh, I would. That's not how I would run it. I, if you're doing a counterattack and you're not, because the way to not get hit in this game, right, is to make an armor save. If you're not making an armor save, you are going to take the hit as long as they, yeah. I mean, so yeah, you're saying you know. just you just take so if they succeed and you succeed, you both hit each other. But if they I fail so. and you succeed, you hit. That's reasonable. I would yeah, I, I could I see think it that that's way. how I would call that one. But I do, because you're like, not defending against the damage, it's not like you're. you're it's not, not like you're doing a save and a counterattack. It's literally like, and because it's a counterattack, it literally like to, in order to counterattack, you get attacked in order to counterattack. So right. So you can defend, you can try to hit back, or you can try to flee. Yeah, that's a reasonable way to read that. Um, 9.6, do I get a bonus from cover? If you hide behind cover that conceals at least half of your body, you gain advantage on your armor save against range attacks. Cool. Cheap, like super easy, love it. How far can I move? You can move half your speed in meters in one movement action, or your full speed in meters, in meters for both actions. If you're wearing heavy armor, like a vac suit or advanced battle dress, You'll need to make a strength check to move your full allotment. Failure means you move half. Yes, so you have a speed score. Uh, and Lilith's example in the beginning, her speed was 31, so she can move roughly 15 meters, which is like 45 feet because we're dirty Americans. 
Um, so you get to move <laughs> far. Is, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but here's here's the thing, though. Like, I don't I don't know if I would grid combat this. Um, I think it would just be. But I mean, Either you kind of have to, because if someone has like 20 speed versus someone that has 40 speed, it's kind of mm-hmm. shitty to just be like, eh, when you could technically yeah, go like 10 it. meters. Yeah. 10 meters versus 20 meters. That's literally twice as far. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because that would suck to to get so much more and it not really mean not anything if you're just hand waving yeah. it. Yeah, so you do kind of have to grid it rough for the most part. Um hit location or or yeah, because if you just say who cares, don't worry about that, that kind of negates no, because uh, yeah. you use speed for other things. You use speed for other things. So it depends. It depends. I mean, the other thing is you're in a spaceship. So I can't imagine a lot of those rooms in a spaceship are huge anyway. If you just yeah, want to move across the room. Be... Yeah. Like, I don't think there's going to be a lot of times where you're literally needing to go like 30 meters. That's literally 90 feet. That's a that's a huge, a huge space. Uh, I think 90 feet would be a big chunk of the battle map. How many? What's 90 divided by five? Four. Why, why, why is my brain I'm completely sleepy, broken? I'm bro. I'm not doing math right now. But basically, I just want to know how many squares 90 feet would be. Everyone listening is like, these fucking idiots didn't know it was 18. Oh, no, absolutely. Know? Yeah. So, is it 18? Yeah. 18 times 5 is 90? That makes sense, because 20 times 5 is 100. So, that's 18 squares oh. on a board. When normally, you're running, you're doing 6 in, in like, D&D. So if you can run your full 40, like 30 meters, that's an enormous amount of space. I can't imagine massive. I can't imagine a lot of gridded combat in space where you're running 18 squares and not Mm. out of the room. So anyway, hit location is a thing. Apparently hit location, damage, healing and death Uh, hit location. 10.1. It's not necessary. It's not usually necessary, but if it becomes important, you can use the diagram below to see where character was hit rolling evens means that their left side was hit rolling odds means they're right that's easy peasy that's cool um, yeah i like that a lot 10 3 10 is head three is right arm yeah. four is left arm <laughs> five to nine is torso yeah uh two is their left leg right uh, one is their right leg oh okay so this is not i mean it's not like you get specific things for hitting but i guess you could do it uh like a targeted shot if you really want or yeah, you, you could just use shot. this or you could just generally use this as like a like a cool like I have a dice. It's like, where did you hit them kind of situation? Um, but if you are going for like a called shot to the head or something like that, maybe you could just like subtract like five or something to to, you know, if you're doing the called shot damage. Whenever you lose an opposed combat check, you take damage, which is subtracted from your health. Uh, if the hit was a crit or if you take more damage than half your max health in one hit, you'll do a panic check. I like that. Um, how do you heal whenever you have a chance to rest for at least six hours? Uh, I like that it's not eight because here's the thing. No one gets fucking eight hours. Uh, your body will attempt to heal your wounds naturally to represent this. When resting, you should make a body save. If you succeed, you'll heal health equal to the amount you succeeded by. Oh, interesting. On a failure, you're unable to heal on a crit failure. Your wounds actually worsen and you lose one to 10 health. I love that. 
A critical success doubles the amount of healing. I love everything about that. I really yeah, like that's... games. I love games where you don't get all your health back just by taking a nap. Drives me nuts. Yeah. But but you could <laughs> magic sleep. But you could get a decent amount back, right? So like for example, the teamster Lilith at the start, her body score is a 30. If you roll like a 60. No, 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 no. It's a roll under, right? It's a body roll save. Under. So the most you could get back is 30 points. 29 right because that yes. would be literally the max that you can roll um that sucks though that means you have every time you try to heal that means you have a 70 percent chance of making your wounds worse no only on a critical failure Ooh, okay good so yeah so you have <laughs> yeah, a 70 percent chance of not healing worse. yeah but you have a 70 percent chance of not healing <sighs> that's crazy so yeah. Um, there's also drugs in med bays, is what it says. Um, grant, uh, grant an advantage to your body save while resting. The warden, however, can rule that trying to rest under adverse circumstances confers disadvantage. You can heal from one rest. You can heal from rest once per day. Uh, there's an example here. Let's read this. After a grizzly encounter with some ancient malfunctioning androids, Lil's current health is 42. She isn't able to make it back to her ship and has to hold up an abandoned airlock. After jamming the airlock shut with a crowbar, she spends the night trying to rest. In spite of the insane gibbering androids outside her door. The warden rules that under those circumstances, she had disadvantage on her body save to heal for the night. Lilith's body is only 30, so it's uh, it'll be a tough roll. Luckily, Lilith rolls a 22 and a 12. Both successful rolls. This is tricky one, though, because which of the rolls is worse? The critical success of 22 would heal her 16. 30 minus 22 equals 8. 8 times 2 is 16. Whereas the regular 12 would heal her 18. 30 minus 12 is 18. So technically, rules as written, the 22 is the worst roll. That's a whole lot of math to deal with one night's sleep for one player, and you'll often have multiple players rolling for rest each night. So it's best to just pick a lane, like crits always count as better rolls, and stick with it. I don't know. That would suck to do that and know that you made that rule and then... Like you're getting like not what you all you could get. I I got lost with the math. I, my brain is broken. <laughs> Sorry, I just had somebody text me from one of my gyms to let me know a pipe burst in one of my facilities. So, oh, that's cool. So if yeah, successful, you in successful you have health equal to the amount you succeeded by. On a fair, you are unable to hear you ones naturally. So wait, when resting, you should make a body save. If successful, you will heal health equal to the amount you succeeded by. Oh, oh, you succeeded. Okay, so if you roll a 22, 30 minus 22 is 8. The closer you are <laughs> to 30, the worse you heal because higher right. is bad. So the lower number is better. Right. Um, I would always just say, I don't give a shit. So, but if you crit, you get double. So that sucks. I'm really glad they put this example in here and explained it because even though you got the 22, doubling only gives you 16 and subtracting 12 gives you 18. That's I would just be like, player, you do the math. So, yeah, um, it's a little mathy for me. You know how I feel about numbers, you know? Yeah, they're dumb. Um, <laughs> well, we got calculators, but um, 
I would not want to because this game I feel like is going to be on like uh, it's going to be I'm trying to think of the analogy I was trying to think of it. It's yard, it's inches, not yards. You know what I mean? I think that like survival, I would not want to screw someone out of like potentially five plus points or something like that just because I want to take an extra 10 seconds for them to do the math. I would just let them math it out. Um, 10.4 unconsciousness and death. Whenever you, you reach zero health, make a body save failure means you die. Success means you fall unconscious and the warden will make a secret roll on the table below to find out when you regain consciousness. Usually a, usually a crew member with a med <laughs> scanner can determine your condition. Additionally, scientists and androids who pass an intellect check can usually tell. Um, so it's one through 10, uh, one, you're comatose and brain dead. Only extraordinary uh, measures can bring you back. And a 10, you immediately uh, regain consciousness with one health. Disadvantage on all rolls for 1d10 minutes plus one stress. Um, It's just, a, is it 1d10? Is that all you roll on it? It has to be because it's just a 1 through 10. I yeah, don't like... Ten. <clears throat> I don't I mean, like... like... 2 through 3, you roll a 1d10 for days. You roll a 1d10 yeah. for disadvantage. Uh, and then... God, yeah, that in so in two to three, the minus five to strength, speed, and intellect is a permanent loss. Permanent loss and disadvantage on rolls for 1d10 days plus 1d10 stress. You're fucked. You might as well be dead. Four to six in 1d10 <laughs> hours. You, yeah. Uh, you get one health back. Minus five strength and speed is a permanent loss and disadvantage on all rolls for 1d10 hours plus three stress. Uh, seven and nine, one D 10 minutes. Um, you get one health. You're at one health minus five strength is permanent disadvantage on all rolls for three D 10 minutes plus two stress. Um, and then even if you come back immediately, you have one health disadvantage on all rolls for one D 10 minutes plus one stress. So I mean, pretty you know much only I... if you roll a 10, you do not lose any stats. Um, yeah. cause seven through nine, you still lose five strength, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing, too, though. You know how I feel about roles where all the numbers are, like, equal percentage, so it's just completely randomized? You know, I would uh, I would almost rather this be, like, a percentile and just be, like, 10, 20 to 30, 4 to 6, 7 to 9, 10, or whatever. Um, right. Gosh, is there... Well, I guess if you roll one die and then the other die, it's a distribution curve, not like a, not like a bell curve for the roles. Right. So it's still almost just as randomized if you roll 2d10. I guess you'd have to roll two dice together to, to get a curve on this. It doesn't matter. Whatever. That's how yes. games work. Uh, yeah, that's how it game, just, games work like games. They're gaming. It just yeah, sucks. They be games. So uh, 11 weapons and ammunition and mothership. The weapons you use and how you choose to use them are very important. Ammunition is often in short supply and a powerful weapon in the hands of an untrained panic character can quickly turn a bad situation into a disaster. Mothership, you use your combat stat when fighting. Having a relevant skill like firearms in close quarter combat will often increase your combat stat temporarily, giving you a higher number of roll under. Additionally, weapons have special abilities of their own. Ammunition, each weapon holds a certain amount of shots, which represent how many times you can fire the weapon. Um, whenever you take a reload action, take the time to mark down how many shells, bullets, or magazines you have left as well. Uh, note on bookkeeping. Most people hate tracking ammo. Ultimately, it's up to the warden whether you track ammo or not. But for survival-oriented games, we recommend it. It's not so much about being realistic as it is running out of ammo leads to all sorts of interesting play. I mean, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah. Uh, it's not hard. Just subtract. I would just have a separate page with, like, my ammo total and then, like, dash to get to the end of it. 
Uh, weapon range, reloading, and automatic fire. Do you want to go over this part? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, so range. Uh, so you pretty much have three uh, different uh, ranges, short, medium, and long. Uh, short range, weapons firing within this range or lower suffer no penalty uh, to the shooter's combat stat. Um, medium range, uh, weapons firing at this range confer a negative 10% penalty to the shooter's combat stat. And I think we've decided now that negative 10% is really just taking 10 off of whatever the combat stat. Uh, long range, this is the maximum distance the weapon can effectively target. Um, in the vacuum of space, a bullet... Fire may travel an indefinite distance, but for the sake of firing on a ship or a planet, uh, this is the maximum range of a weapon. Firing at this range confer uh, confers disadvantage to the shooter's combat check. So it makes sense, right? Short range, no negative, pretty easy to hit things. Medium range, you're starting to actually try. And then long range, at a certain point, it's, it's disadvantage or almost impossible, um, except in special situations of space. Um, which makes sense because there's no inertia in space. So if I shoot the bullet, it's going to go forever. Might not hit, um, but uh, it's going to go. Uh, there is an example, and you know it's an example. And you guys can feel free to read that. It is on uh, page 12, I believe, is what we decided these, how these pages numbers work. It's actually or like, in section it's like 12. Yeah, it's section weird. 12. It's like a chapter section per page. Actually, it's pretty efficient because um, if you're looking for 12, you go to page 12. Uh, aiming, um, you can spend. A full turn so both of your actions uh so both of your actions so if you roll a crit failure in your speed check at the beginning of the round or the initiative check whatever it's called uh you don't have two uh actions so you cannot aim i assume um aiming uh you do not take any disadvantage so that's pretty cool if you have a reason to have disadvantage on the shot you can take both actions to aim get rid of that uh oh sorry aiming you don't take any damage i can read um that turn you get if you don't take any damage you gain advantage on the next shot with a ranged weapon so so sorry totally messed up because i'm quick reading um if you use both actions and you don't take damage you get advantage on your next shot um pretty fair trade-off um you can hold and aim for any number of rounds uh, so you can just sit there i trained on the scope pretty cool um, as long as you don't take damage, get grappled, shoved, or move. So as long as you aren't disturbed while aiming, which makes sense for how real life works, um, yeah, you get advantage on the next shot. I think it's pretty cool. Um, reloading. Uh, reloading a weapon takes a significant action, um, which I believe a significant action was both actions, right? Or is it just that's, that's the, not the name of an action? Uh, I think an action is a significant action, and the insignificant okay. actions... Yeah, you generally get two significant actions. Two significant actions, right. Cool. So, it takes just one action, so a significant action. Um, however, if you have a military training or firearm skill, then you can reload as a free action, um, which also makes sense. Um, this obviously assumes that your magazine, bullets, or whatever uh, is easily accessible. Uh, no amount of training... Uh, can prepare you for rooting around in a loaded pack looking for ammunition. Yeah, so obviously, if you have a massive backpack, you know, I, I, might, I might not say that you can reload in the, a for free action for military, but if you're like, yeah, I've got my ammunition on me, I feel like that's a very case-by-case, case, but that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of stuff in here that, like, 
if you were to apply logic to this, you'd be like, yeah, logically, this is how this thing would work. That's one of the things I really like about this is that a lot of times it just you're just like, yeah, OK, that's reasonable. It just works. Yeah. And, and it's written and it's written in a very clean like clean language. It's not like this and this and this and this and this. It's literally like if I was saying this in the fewest number of words possible to try to explain this to somebody, this is how it'd be written. Um, one of the interest. Did you do special weapon abilities? Um, not yet. We're already now. We're on oh, twelve four. We're I was... going over auto. Oh, I. Uh, yeah, we're on twelve four. We're at automatic weapons. Um, so special uh -huh. weapon abilities next. So automatic weapons, so obviously some weapons, uh, they say the pulse rifle and submachine gun here are fully automatic, uh, meaning that as long as you hold down the trigger, the weapon will continue uh, to fire at an incredible rate. Um, this means that after every time you fire a fully automatic weapon, you have to reload unless you have military training or the firearm skill, um, in which case you can fire it three times before reloading. So interesting. Got fully automatic weapon. I assume they do more damage. I'm assuming when we go over weapons, we'll see that the fully automatics do more damage. The trade-off is that you have to reload every single time unless you have, once again, those skills, um, in which case you only have to reload once every three times. So you still have to reload, um, but it's just less often. Um, like it says, this is uh, due to the intense trigger discipline required to fire these weapons um, and burst without emptying the entire magazine. Oh, so their headcanon for that is that because you are trained in a skill, you burst fire instead of just holding down the weapon. So you're actually firing more efficiently. That's pretty cool. I like that. It's an interesting way to think about it. Um, the weapons chart on the inside cover show the weapons having or as having shots, uh, colon one, parentheses three, to represent this. So if we go back to that little inside, um, let's pick a weapon. Ah, pulse rifle under the nail gun. It uh, does 5d10 damage. So it does like, I, I mean, that's a shit ton of damage looking at their weapons. Like that's pretty high. Um, and it has the same thing. It's one parenthesis three. If you go down close to the bottom, uh, fourth from the bottom of that inside cover, you see the SMG, which is 4d10, which is also like quite a bit of damage. And it has a one as the reload, but parentheses five. So if you have the reload skill or the um, firearm skill, uh, it is every fifth shot you have to reload. So it's less often, but it does one D10 less damage than like the pulse rifle. That seems like a pretty good balance. That's a lot of damage. Um, four D10 compared to most stuff is like what one D10 or two D10. Um, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of 1 and 2 D10s, but those aren't really, like, I can only imagine, like, your ammo is going to run out super fast for this. But yeah, it looks like the average yeah. is like 1 D10 and 2, but that's like stun baton, scalpel, laser cutter, hand welder. There's really only like three or four guns in the whole game. There's the combat shotgun, which I assume is only like super close range. Uh, there's the pulse rifle, the revolver the smart rifle and the SMG. And that's about it as far as guns, like sense. actual guns in my brain for this game. Cause this game is not necessarily a combat game. You have one class. That's a combat class. It's the Marine, right? Everyone else is a teamster. You're like flying the ship. 
You're the captain, right? You're a scientist. You're studying stuff. You're doing research. You're the android that is essentially there just to scare everybody. Um, or, but you know, I mean, like in the canon, like an android's not usually like a combat machine um, or what it seems like it means in this game. So that makes sense. I could definitely see this as me running a game and they're being like, yeah, you know what? You guys are in a paralyzed ship or you're crashing your whatever and there's there's a submachine you're being attacked there's a submachine gun on the ship because secure in security they have security weapons there's only like one or two of them most of the weapons you're gonna find are these like yeah stun baton a welding torch uh, definitely how i would run this um absolutely that's pretty cool um and you know i actually for this game have that you can find it on drive through rpg and there's a bunch of different versions there are item cards for this game so that you can actually have all the items in individual cards and hand it out to your players before I got them. Um, <clears throat> because it's like, yeah, in this room, you have these cards. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was a cool thing. Uh, yeah, I but, like that a lot. I think the, I, yeah. I like having cards at the table. It makes it super easy. That was one thing that 4E did a lot more that, than 5E does is like to have kind of physical stuff yes, like that. 4E, yeah, you've so. talked about that a lot, and I've looked into that. And then 4E was really cool. I think it was a little underappreciated. So Yeah, I just think 4E was a lot more... Um, kind of rules oriented than like quote unquote RP oriented. And it kind of bugged a lot of people. Um, but I feel like if 40 had been its own game, it would have got a yeah. whole lot of love. Yeah, I agree. I think it was very video gamey, but not necessarily in like a bad game, a bad way. No, no, um, no, no. it's just not what like people expected. So they got all, so they piled on and got butthurt. <laughs> well, 3.5 was so good. Um, okay. Um, 12.5 still in that 12 section, but we're on the last portion of it. We have special weapon abilities. Um, some weapons come equipped with powerful targeting sensors or gyroscope stabilizers that make them easier to use. Um, this means that while you were using the weapon, you can add certain bonuses to your rolls. For instance, um, if the weapon says plus 10, uh, parentheses combat, um, when using the weapon, you can add 10 to your combat stat. Um, which, another, going back to a little bit of inconsistency with how we explain these stats, why doesn't it say 10% again? Like it does above, um, because it should. Um, and obviously, or, or, this is the beta edition, right? This yeah. is the zero edition. So hopefully, this is something they clean up in um, their one e. Uh, or this is the way it should be, and they should take all the percentages off the other ones. Yes, um, consistency in either direction would be fine with me. Um, if the firearm says plus ten firearms when using the weapon, you can add a plus ten to your combat stat if you have the firearm skill. Oh, interesting. So one of them, you just get plus 10 no matter what. But the other one's like, no, you only get the plus 10 if you have the firearm skill. So if you find that weapon and you don't have the firearm skill, you don't get the plus 10. It's just a complicated gun for you. Um, if the weapon says minus 10 versus armor, um, your opponent must subtract. So if, essentially, it's armor piercing. Your opponent subtracts 10 from their armor save when rolling against the weapon. So it's pretty cool. You can have a weapon that has an armor piercing feature, essentially. Yeah. So like there's a, a hand welder. There's a hand welder that's close quarters only. Um, it cuts through airlocks and heavy doors. Minus 10 versus armor safe. Totally makes sense. Yeah. It's a Reasonable. welder, you know? Yeah. You can literally <laughs> cut through, like, hull doors. So. Cool. So moving on to 13 combat guns we have i actually kind of like this art like it's really stripped down super minimal and it is exactly what you need um mm -hmm. i also like that it's these cool little diagrams if you're like following along with this these weapon diagrams that show you like these 
it looks like the first one, the smart rifle is like a special weapon. Um, it has, you know, these like really cool little attachments on there. Um, it tells you the damage. So yeah, let's just do the first one, the SK, uh, SK 109 Seeker Smart Rifle. Damage is 1D10 with a little uh, star next to it. And right below, we can see the star is triple damage on critical hits, triple damage on critical hits. So this bitch hits, right? Very top, you can see it has the spectroscope. It has night slash thermal vision. Uh, right below that in the little box, uh, you can see the smart link system is plus 10 uh, combat if wearing a HUD uh, heads-up display, which I am a, a pretty sure it's like an armor item in this game. Um, and then uh, armor-piercing rounds. So minus 10 versus armor saves, um, and you have 12 shots per magazine. So that's pretty cool. It's cool that they give these little layout of weapons, um, and it very much, I think this is why it's so easy to find cards for this game. I'm also... It's very like... Go for it. No, it's very like what? A very cardified. It's very easy to put this on a card and be like, yeah, here's all the, uh, you know? Well, again, I just love the way that they do all the graphics. Like you said, like on this picture, it's literally boxes with arrows pointing to sections of the <laughs> weapon, which is really, really cool. Um, and I do love, uh, and I'm sure they did a bunch of research. I'm glad they did it, that it's magazine because too many people call things clips. And 99% of the time when you're talking about a clip in a gun, it is a fucking magazine. It's not a clip. Uh, stop. Getting all your info from hip hop. Listen, but the hip hop's so good. Um, yes. Yeah, there's a couple other. Do you want to go on over on the guns on this page? Because there's um, a next page that has um, specialty guns after this. No, let's just go straight to the specialty guns. I mean, they they the things listed here, the, the smart rifle. I do like that they have names. Like, in the front, I don't think the names are listed. It just says, like, pulse rifle. I do like that right. it's, like, the F-20 Arbiter. Um, yeah. the Kano <laughs> Peabody flare gun. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. But they have a smart rifle, pulse rifle, combat shotgun, SMG, revolver, flare gun, and trank pistol. Uh, I like the trank pistol. Reminds me of the, um, from uh, Men in Black, the the tiny little gun oh, that he yeah. gets. The, I can't remember the, what it's um, called. The noisy cricket or whatever. Noisy cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's what it's called. Um, I'll go over one of these uh, these special guns. How about the... Uh, how about the nail gun? Uh, the Roscoe yeah, SS6 yeah, nail gun. Damage 2D10. Uh, it's got heavy-duty nail slugs built for spacecraft repair, so it's a minus 10 versus armor. Um, and then a shock absorbing shoulder brace. I assume there's a reason for that, uh, later, or it's just one. a cool thing. <laughs> it's cool. just a thing. Um, yeah. and then auto loader nail magazine, 32 shots per magazine. So I like it cause it's literally a construction gun. Like it's literally just like that. Yeah, you be like a lot of the stuff in this game is like, yeah, you have these tools because you're like, you're a teamster on a space station or a spaceship, yeah. you know, you would be repairing it. You would be building things like, so yeah, you have a plasma torch, you have a nail gun, you have the MNC model, a laser cutter. Um, <laughs> actually, can you read that one next? Uh, the laser cutter. Yeah. The damage is interesting on that. Oh, sure. Uh, so Oh no, I was looking at the flamethrower. The laser cutter uh, is a wide beam laser built to scrap ships 700 meter range. Takes one round to recharge every shot, minus 15 versus armor. Wow. 
Uh, Mega DX solar <laughs> battery holds six laser shot, takes one hour to recharge via ship's generator or six hours via solar power. Wow. Takes one round to recharge every shot. So you get one shot, but that minus 15 armor save is crazy. Does it list the damage? on? Oh, damage is a percentile dice. Is a percentile. Um, wow. Or one... Or one M damage? M if firing against a vehicle or ship. It's I guess a vehicle it's... or ship quality. We haven't read it yet. But okay, cool, like, cool, cool. But if you shoot it against a, a living creature, you roll a D100 to tell you how much damage you did to that creature. Like... That's and it's like, got a and it's minus 15 right to armor now. save it's minus 15 to armor save like you could literally wipe something out in one shot of this thing yeah i just rolled an 84 so just so you here's, know the first time i shot this i rolled an 84 here's the thing though here's the thing though that's your damage right right if if somebody if you miss inside of a ship with this thing that is designed <laughs> to scrap ships i would say that you do 84 damage to your own ship i have to go over ship damage works because i like I, yeah. i'm interested what one md if you want to keep going i'm gonna actually look forward and see what one mdmg looks like okay. or, yeah we'll go into armor it looks like there's four types of armor and this has got another uh looking at this in pdf you can't see it but when you look at it in the book it's a cool like um spread of these four characters and the different types of armor uh i definitely think that the standard crew attire is uh ripley um but looking at it from left to right uh you got vac suit which is armor save uh plus seven percent which we figured out is just plus seven the basic suit worn while operating in space when connected to an oxygen tank holds enough O2 for 12 hours or six hours under stress. Contains short range comms and two headlamps. Speed checks made in a vac suit are at disadvantage and if punctured internal monitors will sound announcing decompression within 30 seconds. Uh, we don't need to go over all four, but the other one is the standard crew attire. Um, I also, I, does it list that this is heavy armor? No, yeah, speed checks. It just says that it is speed checks. Um... And then there's a standard crew attire, which is not armor at all. It's coveralls, leather, and jacket, the standard outfit worn by crew members. So it's basic Makes attire sense. that does nothing. Um, but there is, okay, so the advanced battle dress is an AC, is an armor save plus 15. I found standard it. Standard just, oh, okay, we'll get there. Uh, standard dress uh, for uh, Marines. <laughs> okay, what? No, let me go through this and then, we'll, and then you can tell me what is it is. Mega yeah, damage. Yeah. Oh, mega damage. There you go. Um, standard dress for Marines is the advanced battle dress. Um, it's for deploying and off-world engagements. Includes software comms and a closed system with other Marines in their unit. Headcam headlamp has a small exoskeleton weave in the clothing that allows a Marine to carry twice the weight. Um, and the speed checks made in ABDs are always at disadvantage. It literally is like Alien again because they had like that kind of thing they could sit back on. So. Again, Alien's like one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm happy to see this. It's just interesting that it's Alien, but then there's also an Alien game, which yeah. you could just run well, a lot of those things. Cool, because you can take that like Alien concept of like space horror in like a lot of different directions. Like you could, I mean, yeah. Event Horizon. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. And, and there is, Such it's funny because there is a, um, and Ryan and I have talked about it there. Uh, is it Meat Grinder? Meat Grinder is essentially uh, Event Horizon. Um, yeah. 
So and the interesting yeah. thing with Meat Grinder is it's part of a, a trilogy of adventures. I think that starts with the funnel adventure. So um, yeah, or Meat Grinder is fun... the funnel adventure, and the next one is I gotta look. Real quick. I have them there in the other room. No, I thought Meat Grinder was the third one. Yeah, I have them there, like is sitting that, right uh, there. Is the th- I think you might be right. Then yeah, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I think the drain the is the funnel one? adventure that starts. Yes, that? the drain. You're totally right. The drain is the funnel. But adventure which one's the one between that? Drain and Meat Grinder? Uh, actually, there's one before Drain. Um, which is a space one in which you're approaching the dream. Um, so yeah, there's a trilogy of like small adventures. I, it's, is is that the pamphlet one? Yes. It's the pamphlet. Yes. Yeah. 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 I have it. It's right, (laughs) right there. Um, yeah, so it's trilogy with the end of the last one being an event horizon. Uh, big fan. I love event horizon. I think it's super underrated. I know that there is like fairly underrated. I finally watched it because you said that. So it's super gory and awesome and apparently there was a cut that was even more gory and and fucked up and they chopped part of it out and then lost that part um i wish that they could find that and put out a director's cut i guess it was just on some random vhs somewhere and they never found it so yeah um so there's a whole list of equipment we're not going to dig too deep into that um advanced battle dress auto mods electronic tool sets first aid kits um heads up display there's a cost it's 75 Often worn by Marines, a HUD allows the wearer to see through the body cams of others in their unit and tap into the gun's smart link capabilities. Um, med scanners, oxygen tanks. Ooh, pain pills. When ingested, immediately heals 1d10 points of damage and lowers stress by one. There is a danger of addiction and overdose if used frequently. Love that. I would definitely have <laughs> yeah. that be part of a thing. Um, vac suit. Uh, they cost 1000 and we talked about what they do. Um, the vibrachetti, a machete that vibrates at ultra high speeds in order to cut cleanly through dense foliage can be used as a weapon. I love that. Um, oftentimes indifference between life and death and mothership is having the right tools for the job. Aboard is a non-comprehensive list. Above is a non-comprehensive list. Okay, so starting loadouts and credits. Uh, the character creation has four different starting loadouts to choose from. The loadouts are there to make re-rolling a character fairly painless. If you choose one of the starting loadouts, then you get 5d10 credits to start with. If, however, you choose to forego that and buy your equipment piecemeal, you roll 5d10. I assume that's times 10 for your starting credits. It's just like star 10. Um, so, because 5d10 plus 10 would not be very much. You couldn't buy, like, anything. No. Um, 5d10 star 10. I mean, star technically means multiply by. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 18.2 is addiction. Excessive use of pain kills or stim packs requires a body save to prevent addiction. Once addicted, make a daily body save or gain 1d10 stress every day you go without. If you use once per day for a week, you'll need to take twice the amount of pills to gain the same effect. I love that. Whenever you take more than one pill at a time, roll 1d10. If you roll under, uh, if you roll equal to or under the number taken, make a body save. Failure means you fall unconscious and the warden rolls on the table on page 10.4. You can cure addiction through in-game treatment or leveling up. So every time you take a pain pill or stem pack, you make a body save? No, excessive use. So that's up to the warden, I guess, to decide yeah. what excessive use means. Cool. I like that. I think that's really interesting. The, and it, it works in a horror game to have, like, drug addiction and stuff. This is also one of totally. those things, though, when you start, like, a, a, a game, especially a horror game, the session zeros are important to be like, guys, we're playing a horror game. Also, there's, like, drug and addiction things in here, too. So if that's a thing we want to steer away from... You know, because it is 2022 and the opioid epidemic was big and some people could find that uh, not to their liking. Uh, So talk about it. Um, D100 trinkets we went over already. Um, 
harmonica, opera, opera glasses. Uh, the D100 patches. I love these so much. Uh, patches says good boy. <laughs> patches says, Hell yeah. Patches says meat bag. Oh, so there's an astronaut with turned out pockets that says all out of fucks to give. Yeah. <laughs> love that. It's so good. Honestly, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, page section, whatever, 21. Hiring mercenary and the stats. At many star points throughout the galaxy, you'll find broken, hungry mercenaries, freelancers, pioneers, and, hike, and hitchhikers looking for work. If a crew is light and needs extra hands, you can find them, but you should be careful. Uh, they may be cutthroat and disloyal, leaving you to die when you need them most. Uh, mercenaries are simpler characters than the one you'll play until they only have four stats. Combat, uh, which is combat. Instinct, which is a catch-all for fear, sanity, body, and speed. So all of the saves are just instinct on your mercenaries. Um, hits, as opposed to tracking their health, mercenaries die in one or two hits. And loyalty, rolled on higher. Loyalty is a save that should be rolled whenever your mercenary needs to make a choice between what's best for them and what's best for you. I love the simplified stats. That's, they're great. Yeah. Um, you could almost do like a light version of the entire game with this, with just switching up your loyalty to like armor instead. Uh, but that's really cool. I like that a lot. Um, simplified stats make it easier to track. Absolutely. Uh, how much do mercenaries cost? They are paid in advance when hired and then paid a monthly salary. This advance in salary negotiated up front. Uh, they can negotiate a higher price up to twice as much as their advance salary, depending on the danger and length of the job. However, they often give discounted prices for hiring in bulk. Say hiring a team of Marines with an officer or a crew of Teamsters instead of a captain, co-pilot, and engineer. The higher mercenary make an intellect check modified by the chart below. Success means they accept. Failure means they don't. Um, oh, so not given a share of the earnings means your intellect check to hire them is a minus 20. They won't have their own quarters is a minus 5. The job is known to be dangerous is minus 10. Advances less than standard is minus five. Hiring for at least a month is a plus five, and hiring four more is a plus ten. So interesting. I assume huh. that they will cancel each other out, though. So if you're hiring five or more, but the job is known to be dangerous, it's just a flat roll. You you have just, a plus yeah, ten yeah, and a minus ten. Yeah. Additionally, mercenaries always indicate a next of kin who will receive their earnings. Non-payment of these earnings is often enough justification to warrant a low bounty. Oh, interesting. So if they die, you better pay out their family. Uh, can mercenaries level up? Mercenaries gain XP just like you do with one important caveat. They do not get normal survival bonus or having survived the night of gameplay. Instead, they get one XP for surviving. All mercenaries start as level zero. If your character dies, become insane, or is otherwise unplayable, you can play one of the mercenaries you've hired and roll up a full character for them. Ooh, interesting. That's a fun way to start it. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. Uh, mercs in combat. In combat, mercs can be played by the person who hired them or by whoever is closest or by the warden if no player accompanies them. Generally, mercs only take orders from the person who hired them. Uh, they always go last in turn order. Important to know. Um, hiring cool mercenaries. List of yeah. yeah, potential mercenaries with like what they are, their stats, costs, skills. That's cool. I mean, yeah, you can chop around for skills. Yeah, the loadout, everything. It's really, it's really neat. I mean, archaeologist, asteroid miner, marine grunt, marine specialist, void urchin. I love that. I assume that some type of of uh, bad guy that you can also hire onto this. I think we talked about a void something earlier uh, in one of the examples. The void, the void urchin has skills in rim smart and 
uh, mysticism. mysticism. So they sound kind of maybe like uh, um, like uh, shaman e or whatever. What is a sophontologist? They're so fun. Sophontology. <clears throat> I do not know. Also, the name of the first adventure in the Inferno trilogy is The Wrath of God. Yeah, it's the uh, yeah yeah it's the the um the pixel art kind of pamphlet one right yeah yeah, yeah. uh sophontology subsidiary branches of the science include cultural sophontology the comparative study of sophant societies physical sophontology most advanced societies develop a system of sophontology after first contact many of these spacefaring societies first encounter signs. Of less advanced, what the fuck does what is a sophant? Intelligent <laughs> life form. Oh, and technology being used or sapient, including others. So basically, it's an alien expert. Uh, yeah, under the master skills, it says alien psychology. There we go. All right. So da, 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 da. hiring mercenary scum. Sometimes there's no one to hire, but the people, no one is desperate enough to hire. If you cannot find a merc. Uh, who will work for you once you roll once on the table. Uh, you can roll once on the table and take what you get. The scum below are archetypes, not individuals. They cost 100 credits in advance and a salary of 200. They have lower than average stats. 15-15, 3D-10 loyalty, um, as well as the tactical and personal issues can join with them. So just a random one. Let's do the sex bot. <laughs> Let's say uh, there's a sex bot. You can hire a sex bot. Yep. Some genius off the logic chip on an Android attuned to game theory and human sexuality would be an unbeatable prostitute. Wow, game theory. Um, their rote behavior <laughs> and uncanny valley stare were state were a turnoff. Because of this, they are hypersexual at all times, inappropriately frank about your appearance, like any scientific knowledge, and cannot handle weapons. Uh, their loadout is lube, amyl nitrates, sex manuals, tearaway clothes, and shady sunglasses. Good times. Good times. Can you just hire one of them just because? Um, I actually really like uh, The Witness. Uh, the Witness, exceedingly polite, courteous, and dressed in crisp, clean clothing, will explain the religion and witness to you at any point you may be susceptible to conversion. We all know there are no atheists in foxholes. We happily torture and or murder those who disparage, or uh, they will happily uh, yeah. torture or murder any of those who disparage their god their loda is a religious text immaculate clothing uh pamphlets about their religion and uh missionary zeal so we know um, exactly <laughs> what that is and i love yeah, it you're bringing a more you're bringing a jehovah's witness on board with you so uh, i thought it was like a mormon aren't the mormons that wear like the black they pants white shirt door the door yeah. jehovah's witness also go door to door so as a nurse don't get me started on j-dubs but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that for the nurses out there to know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, uh, regardless of who you end up hiring, it may at some point become important to know why they decided to ship out on you. It's a list of motivations. Um, there's a bunch. Uh, they're secretly a smuggler. Uh, they're secretly a con artist. They're secretly a serial killer. Um. And it's got some some caveats underneath that stress. OK, so 25 point. No, uh, I keep wanting to read at the top right versus the bottom left. This is a cool piece of art here with this person in like a vac suit 
who it looks like it's clearly punctured and there's like smoke inside of it and they're either screaming or dead. Um, yeah. But cool little piece of art. So whether it's in the unknown horrors in the cosmos or the vast emptiness of space and mothership uh, take their toll on a person. Stress is measure of how that toll uh, of that toll and how it subtly affects you, bringing you closer to the brink of panic. While stress by itself doesn't do anything, the higher stress is the more likely you are to panic. So how do you gain stress? The primary way to gain stress is by failing uh, a save. When this happens, you gain one or more stress. There are a number of ways to gain stress as well, and the warden is encouraged to come up with their own. Uh, anytime the ship takes uh, takes a hit, uh, certain creatures, seeing them is enough to do that. Getting knocked unconscious, going 24 hours without rest, near misses by an asteroid, anything that would cause you anxiety in real life. Yeah, anything that's but, yeah stressful in real life is going to be fucking stressful in the game. So... Yeah, but like millennial stress, not Gen Z stress, because you guys are all. <laughs> so getting rid of stress is a lot like healing from rest. Whenever you rest for at least six hours, you can attempt a fear save to relieve your stress. If you're successful, then you relieve one stress point for every 10 points your, say, your save succeeds by rounded down. Critical successes double it. I'm not going to read the example. That makes sense. I love that this, like... If you do run long campaigns, you need to finish an arc and like get back to good before going out again. But if you yeah. are doing like multiple days in a row, your health is going to be low and your stress is going to be high a lot of the yeah. time. And I love that you don't heal very much of either. Um, but you can use pain pills and stim packs and things like that, which you can become addicted to, which is just so good. Because the more stressed and, and weak you are, the more you're going to use pain pills, which means the more you're going to get addicted, which means the worse things are going to get. I love this game. Yeah, um, it's very good. Yeah. yeah. Resting isn't the only way to cover stress. In our example above, they spent time in therapy, which gave them advantage for their fear save before resting, and pills also came into play. Um, here are a few other ways you're going to do stress. Escape. Sex, drugs, and alcohol is a way to reduce stress. I 100% agree. Thank yep. you, Mothership. Um, defeating a bad guy, going weak without having to enroll a savior. Uh, cryo sleep. Generally, resting cryo sleep won't allow you to relieve stress. And of course, just like healing, attempting to rest in an unsettling and dangerous environment. That makes sense because you're not actually in cryo sleep. I assume it's kind of just like zoop, you're out and zoop, you wake yeah. back up, but your brain's in the same spot it was just at. Um, if you have a skill like psychology or theology, which allows you to assist other characters in relieving their stress, you can only use it once per day, and you can't try to relieve uh, your stress that day either. Interesting. Eventually, stress damage, emotional cool, wear and tear. You like, yeah, if you have high psychology and you're like, okay, well, you're obviously very stressed out. Let's go ahead and sit down for a session. Yeah, let's talk uh, about this. And that'd, be, that'd, be a fun, that'd be a fun role-playing um, moment for two characters. It's like, you know, tell me about your mother. It could be. Yeah, it'd be interesting to RP that if someone really wants to like lay down on the couch and roll that out. That's definitely uh, something they could I do. Uh, so stress, wear, tear, emotional damage, you could panic. So 26 point, what is a panic check? A panic check determines whether you're able to keep your cool under pressure. There are two steps. You make a stress check, which is 2d10. If you roll over your current stress, you don't. I assume, is that 2d10 added together? Yes, because that's a normal yeah. roll that could be done. Yeah, 2d10. Yeah. Um, you don't panic and you relieve one stress. If you roll equal to or lower than your current stress, you panic and move on to step two. And if you do, you roll for the panic effect, which is 2d10. Roll another 2d10 on the panic effect table to the right and add your current stress. Um, I don't but think it's... You want to go and roll 2d10? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a dice roller up? Yeah, I do. Okay. Here's the thing, is this goes to 30. Roll another 2d10 on the panic effect table to the right and add your current stress. So you could have up to 10 stress. Yeah. 11. So you get a nervous twitch. You gain two stress, and the nearest crew member also gains one stress. That sucks from watching you twitch out. <laughs> you are so stressed out and twitchy that the person next to you is like, what the fuck, dude? Uh, another random kind of roll situation. If it's 2d10 added together... There is a bell curve, right? Because you're not right. doing like so. It's and it's. I assume it's geared towards the middle. So it's interesting that that doesn't really work that way. I wonder what the curve is. Well, it, it depends too, because you have to add your current stress. So well, I just did a flat roll, but let's say like I had four stress. It's gonna like that's why it says thirty plus. Um, right. And then it says what I'm saying is yeah. what I'm saying is like the. The way it's written, it looks like lower roll better, higher roll way worse, right? But like, there's, again, there's a bell yeah. curve in the middle. So you're most likely, I wonder what the curve on 2d10 is. I guess you could look at it, but I, well, I wonder up. what the, I wonder what the average roll then on 2d10 is going to be, because again, it's not like. You know, a one and a one is an 11, you know, so I'm curious. I'm always curious now looking at rolls. If uh, uh, so, 11 is going to be your highest percentage chance. That's a 10 percent chance to roll an 11. Um, <clears throat> and then it's 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 a 2d10 out of 20. So each thing is like so you have a one percent chance to roll two, two percent chance to roll three. So you have a three percent chance to roll two or three. Um, yeah, so 11 is your most likely, but that, once again, we're talking about that's a flat. You're going to have stress. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I guess it's interesting. So I, you can have, I guess, a distribution, like the, the curve, so that the lower is better, and an average 10 or 11 with no stress is just a nervous twitch, which isn't too bad. Cowardice isn't too bad. Hallucinations isn't too bad. But once you start getting up to like 1920, so it makes sense. I think uh, basically yeah. I was just curious whether they just made a list and had 2d10, like good at the bottom, bad at the top, or if they actually thought about where the curve was and what the average roll could be, which is a nervous switch. And it seems they at least took it into account. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, because good. like the, yeah. So um when the results on panic table are primarily negative, there is a possibility of grace under fire. Yeah, if you roll like a double, double ones. The warden has a lot of sway here in determining when is a good time to call for panic rolls, but here are a few places where it would definitely be appropriate. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can, I mean, there's other things that we've read in the game that just you have to roll a panic roll, right? We've read right. that already, okay. But there's times where like the, the warden can just be like, yep, fuck that, let's do this. Um, after seeing more than one crew member panic at the same time, also, you know, if you have a Marine with you, um, getting hit by a crit success, rolling a crit fail, uh, seeing another crew member die whenever your ship takes damage from a critical success. Interesting. Oh, the resolve stat. We, I don't think we've talked about this at all, except that we saw that it started with zero. Resolve is your ability to ignore or cope with your accumulated stress. Every point of resolve you, prov you have provides minus one to all rolls 
on the panic effect table. If resolve brings your panic effect total to one or less, there is no effect and you do not panic. You start with zero resolve and you can gain more up to a maximum of five by leveling up. Interesting. So, I mean, still though, to not have any effect on the roll at all, you would have to have like a high enough pan like resolve score and an incredibly low panic score. Like yeah. if you had a five on a resolve, you still have to roll five or less. So it's interesting it starts at zero though, because even if you have one, you can't do anything. I guess it still reduces right. you by one, but it's not like it could take it away completely. That's an interesting <clears throat> thing, and I'm I, I'm curious why it is so so low. Um and I'm curious also they want why you to it tend affects towards panicking, yeah. you know. But I'm also interested it's interesting that they do it on the panic effect roll table versus a minus to your like stress check or whatever or like a plus like a reduction of your stress like because it's not just like a it would i don't think it would really make sense if you just like they average the two out so you have 10 stress we have five resolves you only have five stress that's kind of like a eh. then what's the point of having you know one or the other anyway um all right so we're actually because a lot of this is roll tables. We're cruising through this towards the end. Space yeah, travel okay. and hyperspace. Like, yeah, there's like only like thirty-five or whatever, thirty-eight pages, and we're yeah. on page twenty-seven essentially. Yeah. So. so we probably got we, like we you know, it, you know. Yeah, we got like thirty more minutes before we hit the. Uh, but this isn't going to be like a noon red giant episode. Um, space <laughs> travel. The majority of your time in mothership will be spent aboard spacecraft, either traveling or in cryosleep. How long does it take? There are two possible ways to ship. Uh, for a ship to travel by a jump drive or via thrusters thrusters jump drives are powerful engines designed to allow a ship to move faster than the speed of light um and thrusters powerful jets that propel you forward so it gives you a table on uh your speed uh and whether you do an interplanetary interstellar intergalactic um weeks years or millennia um so if your speed is 10 to 30 to get to another galaxy it would take you a millennia if your speed is 51 to 80 it would only take you years and you know interplanetary 10 to 30 is weeks 31 to 50 is days right. 51 to 80 is hours so you want a fast ship um jump drives are rated one to nine with the rating showing how large of a jump they can make uh at a time is determined by the warden most crews spend their time in hyperspace and cryosleep Time dilation due to the effects of relatively unfaster than light travel are uncertain and sometimes seemingly random. A crew returned from a standard jump three voyage to find that they have gone been gone for several years. Others return to find it has only been a month. Standardized trade routes seem to wear down the chaotic effects, but those who make long jumps, like the legendary Jump Nine colony ships, are never expected to return. Their settlers leaving their previous lives behind. Um, part of it is the expense of building the colony ship. The other part is that no one is certain what the effects of multiple jump nines would be. Interesting. Can you captain your own ship? In general, most ships can be piloted by one person and a working computer. To be considered a captain, um, generally purchasing your own ship, you'll need to have the vehicle specialization skill and the class of ship you'll captain as well as the command skill. So on an average mothership ship, like one shot, is somebody the captain? Or is there generally just like... Yeah. Yes, someone's so someone, the captain. Someone gets to be the captain. It's not just like an NPC <coughs> that just exists on the ship. No, and I would assume like that's like you know that's the teamsters' role. You know, um, is it the teamsters' role? I thought they were just I like mean, the, I would. I would just feel like that's a thing a teamster does. You know, as the they're the rough and tumble crew. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, one of them might have to step up. Um, basic ship classes are on page 28. Uh, if you took vehicle specialization as a skill, any one of those classes would make for a suitable specialization, include a blower, minimum, maximum hull sizes. Uh, buying a lot of ship stuff that, like, okay. Uh, yeah, ships are ship stuff. You need Very it. Cool. You need it. Yeah. But uh, we don't necessarily need to dig through all of it. Um, ships are incredibly expensive. With each point of hull costing roughly 10 million credits. If your warrant allows you to start your campaign with a ship, we recommend starting with a ship with a minimum hull size allowed by the ship's class. I don't understand how you wouldn't start with a ship. Again, unless there's like an NPC captain or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. The, there's the NPC captain. Um, I think when I run the drain with my group, we're gonna they're like being set down on the planet, so it's not really their ship. Oh, so it's not gotta, in a gotta ship. Find, oh, yeah. Gotta find a ship. Because a lot of this isn't necessarily like you being on your own ship. You could be dropped somewhere or on a planet. It's not necessarily all. Sh when I think of this, I think of being on a spaceship. But I assume right. a lot of this doesn't necessarily need to be on a spaceship. It can be on planet and shit. Yeah. Uh, refueling costs one unit of fuel per day to run the thrusters. Jump requires fuel equal to the jump. Uh, so a jump two requires two units of fuel. Um it being out in space costs fuel. Yeah. Upgrades and repairs. Every player on board a ship with mechanical repair, engineering, or any similar skills can attempt an intellect check to repair damage. So this is important because you you can panic and stuff and you get hit um, and you have to repair the hull or you can die and stuff. So this is important. For every five points you succeed the check by, you can repair one hull. A ship which is taking 25%, 50%, or 75% damage, however, cannot be repaired beyond that point without returning to a starport. Oh, interesting. Players may only attempt to repair once before they need to return to a starport uh, dock with another ship or buy repairs. So it's got like checkpoints. So once it hits a quarter, you can repair it back to that if you haven't reached the next quarter. But once you hit the next quarter, you can only repair it. So if you are at like 60% damage, you can only repair back to 50 and if you're at right. like 45, you can repair back to 25. Interesting. Um, at a well-equipped starport, upgrades to ship take one week per 10 hull added. Repairs take one day per 10 hull repaired. Poorly equipped or remote starports can double or triple the time taken to repair costs. Uh, repairs cost 100,000 credits per hull. Full upgrades cross the snare to 10 million credits per hull. Shit. If your ship gets shitty, you're doing a lot of jobs to try to get it better. Because credits ain't cheap. Yeah, they're it's it's a kind of expensive venture, you know. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense because it's fucking expensive. Um, yeah. So they do have a uh, a layout here for building uh, the false staff, which is uh, uh, an asteroid type mining frigate class. So your primary modules are life support, um, which keeps the crew alive, command which is in the cockpit um, for every four officer positions. One command module is required. Officers can be captains, first mate, nav officers, comm officers, uh, and is largely up to the warden and the players to decide. Um, armor is your armor plating that protects the ship. Um, you can pick secondary modules, and this one has jump drive, computer, galley, weapon mount, med bay, cryo chamber, living quarters, barracks, cargo hold, and science lab. Um, in number three, you calculate your base hull by adding up the total hull from the list above. Um, so each one of these things has a hull number, I guess. Cargo holds are essentially 20 by 20 space. Each article can hold up to 10 cargo units. Um, yeah. 
Uh, calculate your total hull by adding the required modules below thrusters, engine, fuel, and frame. So there's actually another kind of breakdown on the right of this page of, um, I guess, and on, the, am I off a little bit to the side? Things come out of nowhere. I don't think I'm missing a page. Am I wrong that like off to the right side of this, some of the lines just go off? Uh, yeah, they do go off. So if this is, um, oh yeah, I guess they do. Where do they go? Here's the book. <clears throat> Where the hell did they go? <laughs> like the like computer modules, like that line just goes off to the right. <laughs> oh, oh, um, that's interesting. It's uh, it's a page apart. So it's on like this this. Uh, diagram is on page 29, but the rest of it is on page 32. Ah, uh, found so it. Yeah, like I see it. A page in between, which makes no sense whatsoever. That's kind of annoying that it splits that way. Anyway, I assume they'll fix that because that's kind of a pain in the butt. So it does go off to the other side and it does have like the armor, combat, intellect, speed, because there's more sections. Fill in your ship stats, list your weapons, list your officers. All that kind of stuff. So yeah, so we'll just I'm just gonna list off the things in order on how to build a ship because we're not gonna dig too deep into that right now. But um, and number one, you select your primary modules. Number two, you select your secondary modules. Number three, you select your ship's weapons. Um, number four, you calculate your total hull. Um, and then there is ship design stats and manifest layout. Number one, you fill in your ship's stats. Um, number two, you list your weapons. Number three, you list your officers. Number four, you list your cargo manifest. Number five, you draw your ship's layout, which is cool. That'd be cool to sit down at a table and actually like draw out what the ship looks like. And they do have a cool version say, here. There's a really cool, um, on itch. Um, there is a derelict ship generator. There's a ship generator for mothership. Um, that's awesome. It does. It just gives you like where everything would be placed in order. Um, it's really super useful. Highly suggest you guys check it out. Is by uh, Della Cannon or Della D E L A C A N N O N dot H dot I. Why don't you drop the link into chat? I'm gonna drop it right um, now in the chat. And then uh, Pound of Flesh has more ship stuff in the back of that, <laughs> I think, as well. Uh, the adventure. Um. So yeah, that's a really cool thing to actually sit down with your people if you want to do a ship. This would be a zero session unto itself, I think, to like decide like to build out your ship. Because this ship costs $550 million. And it says owed on it is $390 million. So you don't even you don't even own this ship. You're still paying somebody somewhere. You're still making payments on it. <laughs> yeah. Um ship to ship combat. Um turn order and actions. Is there uh, there's not a breakdown for that. So ship to ship combat, uh, what's the same? Surprise and turn order are handled the same. Use your speed stat, determine how often uh, and in what order you go. Because again, the ship gets its own armor, combat, intellect, and speed. Um, so it's like that. So what's different though? The big thing is that each ship has its own stats and character sheet completely separate from your own, which are used to determine a few things. It has a, sh a speed stat, which is used to determine relative speed between ships in a fight. 
Uh, most ships' weapons must be manned in order to fire. Attacks are resolved to either the ship or operator's combat. Instead of dealing regular damage, ships deal mega damage. Each point of mega damage is equal to roughly 100 points of regular damage. So if you do 84 mega damage, you're doing 8,400 points of damage with that right. laser cutter. You're oh, blowing no, that a laser hole in your cutter, ship. No, that laser cutter does it does uh, D percentile damage. If uh -huh. you're attacking a ship hull, it does one mega damage. Oh, uh, I think so also no, because. It, I kind of glossed over this, but in the weapon section, there is a laser cutter ship weapon versus the laser cutter. Right. Like, yeah. And railgun and torpedoes and rigging gun. Um, yeah, the oh. laser cutter for the ship does 1d10 mega damage. So if you roll an mm. 8, um, that's 800 damage, um, which is fucking um, wild. But how much damage does this ship have? Like how much? Uh, we'll have to dig a little farther. The hull is 55. And I think there's like hull points and stuff. I know we kind of cruise through this a little quickly because I. Because we're going to cruise through this a little quickly because <laughs> this would be a whole thing unto itself to to do again differently and later. We um, might and actually just do an episode where we build a ship for Mothership. We might pull some of the, because there's some other extra content. There's a space station yeah. builder in the back of uh, one of the modules that I have. We might just build yeah. a space station, you know? Yeah, we might be able to do a special episode, like a non-Saturday review episode. We'll just yeah, pull it up. Yeah, non-Saturday, we're just chilling. Yeah, we'll roll up two characters and build a spaceship. That'd be pretty dope. Uh, maybe yeah. we can especially do that more towards when uh, when uh, 1E drops, too. Um, ships have their own armor save. Instead of health, your ships have hull stat, which is reduced to zero, means the ship has been completely destroyed. Most combat ends before ships are completely destroyed, or destroying a ship entirely often robs the attacker of some resource. Yeah, like, you you cripple a ship, you don't Yeah, you're not trying to, yeah, you're trying to raid these people. <laughs> yeah, you want to steal their shit. Uh, what Mega can I do damage. on my turn? Yeah, you can engage in regular combat. Uh, in a ship-to-ship -ship fight, a ship's computer can take a certain number of actions a turn on its own. Um, it can take as many actions as our computer modules. You can hail the attacking ship to attempt a line of communication, etc., etc., etc. Can you take as many actions as there are computer modules that you said? I think that's what I said. Uh, a ship's Very computer cool. can take a certain number of actions a turn on its own. It can take as many actions as there are computer modules. Generally, these actions include firing the ship's weapons and closing airlocks. So that's how many, like, so that's the back and forth. Is if you have, like, four computer modules, you get four actions. Ship yeah, critical four, hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Critical hit effect table, let's just pick a random one. Um, 50 to 54, you reduce your engines by one. Um, 69 is an EMP. All systems shut down for one round, and Android's shut off must be rebooted. Um, it's oh, a cool, interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a cool, I guess, D100 table, um, 00 yeah. to 09. Um, for the critical hits. Um, see, this is the thing, though, right? This is 0, 0 to 99 okay, versus so that's other things that are 1 to 100. The zeros are, the zero, zeros are zeros, then. Yeah, and the 99 is the highest you can get. I think This is the yeah. first time we've seen like a, a D100 table, but it it's not. Be. It's a D99. Yeah. So, yeah, so 0 is 0, and the most you can get is a 99. Interesting. See, you know what I'm saying? There's two different ways you can read D100s. Um, uh, surviving in Mothership is tough, uh, but those who survive come out even tougher. This is uh, page 35, experience points, or section 35. Every session, you will gain some experience points, and when you have enough, you'll level up and be able to increase your abilities. 
making you more able to face the challenges. How do you gain XP? Survive a session is worth 10 XP. If you survive the first night, you'll immediately level up. You'll reach nice. level two after two more sessions. Additional XP is awarded by the warden for accomplishing goals. The triggers for XP rewards may be may vary considerably. However, they should be public knowledge. Save another crew member's life is three XP. Investigate distress signals three XP. I listen. That's fine, and I know this game is a little mathy. Totally. I've always been more in the a milestone. milestone. Yeah. yeah. So I just I hate I hate when people are like, so did I get XP for that? Did I get XP for that? How much XP can I write down for that? Did I shut the fuck up? I'll tell you at the end. Or zero because you I have won't. zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, XP based on class is optional. Additionally, you can easily track on class based XP awards to the current XP system. For example, Marines gain one XP when they kill an enemy. Scientists gain one XP when they bring a piece of alien technology or living organism above the ship. That sounds like it could be bad, but you get XP for it. Androids <laughs> say, when they interface. Sounds like yeah. the start of a really good adventure, you know? Yeah, and Teamsters gain one XP when they first uh, step foot on Undiscovered Planet. I mean, it's cool, and there is an XP leveling chart, and I guess you could run with it that way. I would definitely still just XP. I would I would just milestone level the shit out of this. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, you start off at level zero. If you survive your first session, you'll end up and become a first level character. So you literally start as level zero and you're not even a first level character. It's off to your first session. Interesting. Yep. Uh, yeah, what can you brutal. do? Like it's, it just seems like you can die so easily, you know? Yeah. Oh, so easily. And the fact that it spirals so fast, like is terrifying. Like if you last like 10 sessions with a character, you're lucky as fuck is what it comes down to. Um, what can you do when you level up? When you level up, uh, you are in a place safe enough to rest. Largely, this is when the warden constitutes it, but generally, even if a place could incur a disadvantage in resting for healing or recovering from stress, that's safe enough to level up. Cool. So eat. I like that. I like that you can... It, it doesn't matter. You just have to like not be actively getting murdered. Uh, yeah. You pick one major <laughs> improvement. Uh, a, you improve one stat by five and another by three to a max of 85. Um, or B, improve two saves by four each to a max of 85. I like that, A or B. Um, yeah. Number number two, you pick a minor improvement. Um, there's three options. A, you gain one resolve to a max of five. B, you remove one phobia or addiction. Or C, you heal all stress. I mean, if you wanted to make this a little bit more campaign friendly, I would just give all of these. Yeah, if you're, yeah, I can see that being yeah. optional for like, yeah, if you're wanting to run something yeah. for a bit um and uh number three you gain two skill points um and it just gives you the list of how much things cost um and you can bank skill points and save them for future use cool character death characters die quickly in mothership but the leveling system is built to get you back up and running quickly so think carefully and play hard yeah like you're gonna be if you don't die you're gonna be very close to death but when you level um I mean, I guess it increases well, you just, relatively well. Making it to level one is like one surviving one night, you know. So yeah, that's true. If you so, yeah, if you die, getting to level one is going to take you. You know, just have somebody yeah. to survive for a whole day. Yeah. So it's it seems like you level up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Because because this is total XP, not like <clears throat> to, wait. So total XP needed. So 10 XP gets you to level one. My question is, do you keep your 10? Then you only need another 15 to get to level two is what it looks like to me. It's not like you need another 25. That's how I'm reading it. 
Um, yeah, it's just that, total. Yeah. So you can get to level 10, which is their highest level in 500 XP. <clears throat> Which, I mean, is a lot, but it's not like it's not like D&D where you literally need like 50,000 XP to fucking go from level 10 to level 11. Um, so it seems like you it's a rough game, but you can level pretty quickly if you if you can survive. Um, oh, and then we got the uh, what amounts to a worksheet for your ship in the back. And it is laid out side by side this time correctly in the back of the book. Um, as opposed to within the book that's got the page in between. And then the uh, next page is your character sheet, which is also laid out side by side. Um, and then the very last page is the last page of the book, which is the player cheat sheet, which we've already said is just... Um, it's great. It's a really great it's sheet. It's so great. It's so great. So that is the Mothership RPG... Zero edition, beta, alpha, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The one before 1E that's coming out later this year. Um, and we are going into the game review page. The scores, as you will, for our review. Um, so as we do a lot of times, uh, we'll explain the scores a tiny bit. Um, you can see on an Instagram post, like the second or third post we did, what they all mean. Uh, I actually need to... Uh, change one of these because we changed price to value um and uh and yeah so starting with art and style i mean we know this isn't going to get a super great score um because there's not a ton of a ton it's of that but when, yeah yeah when we talk about art and style we talk about you know, our, our, our highest score is Merkborg, and it's how much art is in the book, and if that art style is consistent throughout. I think the art style is consistent throughout. I love, I yeah. love the art on the cover. Uh, this kind of scratchy, sketchy art, and the inside pieces that are very like, that are very like kind of blocky oil painting kind of style. It's cool. It's very sparse cool. though. I mean, I think they did. Like the gun page is really neat, and I think that the four armor pages is really cool, and that's about as much yeah. art as it's in it. It could have done, I don't know. Again, we've talked about this before. The better the layout is, uh, a lot of times it will. the art part will suffer and vice versa. Right. So I think the layout on this is really well done, but the art is pretty low. Um, I don't even know. So five is average, and I wouldn't I wouldn't even call this much higher than that. I mean, I like the no, art. I, I think the only thing that raises it above a five for me, because I was, I, was, I'm, I'm, I was pretty much on a five, but um, I think the weapons and armor is a more is an entertaining enough use of the space and art um that i you know it's a five and a half it's a six maybe for me but it, i think a five or a six is very reasonable for this but so here's the thing is five is average five is an yeah. average amount of art in a tabletop role-playing game book if i grab another book let's just grab one next to me um is there more art there's art on like every other page with a bunch of spreads and stuff i think that's relatively average like if you pull up like yeah so i don't think this would, i can't think this even gets close to a six i think there's less than like six pages of art in the entire thing minus you know that two page spread um eh. i mean it I'm fills empty five. spaces it fills empty spaces yeah yeah I mean, uh, let's just let's go six. I think it's average, but I do like the art. 
I guess we'll say that is like a a thing. I don't know. I'm I, I'm like eh. it's just so little art. I could go either way. What what's your thought? Yeah, I I th- I think it's a five. I think it's a five. Yeah. I think this is like an average education. The art reinforces the themes. There's just not very much of it. Um, yeah. But there's there it's there. There's some of it. You know? I think it's average. Uh, I think it's average. I think it's, it's, not, it's, it's not an art book, so that makes sense that that wasn't what no. the focus was on. You know? Yeah, because I think the other one that's kind of similar to this is Lancer. Um, but Lancer has more art than this. Lancer has more you know art. I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm actually going to um, pull this up to the side so we can we can see this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Lancer got a six, and I think Lancer has more art than this. And I think that's the lowest score otherwise that we've given for art in a book. So yeah, so I'm good with the five. Layout and function. Okay, here's the thing. Listen. Laid out, <laughs> laid out beautifully. Trick of vibes, right? Um, I I get a little bit lost in the way that they number things. I assume it's I assume the section is by page number, is is what I Each think. Page, page one section, right? Yeah, but there's no page two because it's got this page here, but like yeah, every page is so everything on page three is three one three two three three. Everything on page four is four one four two. Um, there's nothing on page five. On page seven, it's seven one. On eight, it's so every page number. Everything on that page is paragraphed. So on page thirty one, it's thirty one one, thirty one two, thirty one three, thirty one four. I love that because you literally can just say like, you know, thirty one three. Flip to page thirty one and go to three. The layout is is yeah. wonderful. And again, artistically, because they're kind of a little bit linked, there's no empty blank white spaces. Um, every, every you know, when there is art, it comp- it does fill those spaces really well. Even even in little tiny sections like this, I really like on section 12.4, there's this little piece of, of creepy guy in a tunnel art to even not fill that. To, so there's not even that little white section. So layout wise, I mean, I'll tell you what, if this was hyperlinked as much as troika is hyperlinked this would be another 10 i mean because this is how yeah. books should be laid out but it's there's not a couple of sections where i think it maybe would be better in a different section um like or what? there's that weird there's that weird break with um oh god yeah uh yeah uh there was just a couple the, of, i'm trying to think there's one other spot that the, was I mean, you're it's talking about page, pretty good yeah you're talking about page 30 and 31 where it breaks apart like the ships um yeah that's what i'm talking uh, about when you were yes yeah that's that's dumb um so i almost want to instead of starting at a five i almost want to start at a 10 and subtract points versus start at a five and add points um it's it's not hyperlinked it's not even that it's not hyperlinked like like as much as Troika is. Like if it was hyperlinked, but then those little tabs underneath that says like, you know, go check this other space for this. Like read more on page eleven to fourteen. If it was all hyperlinked except for that, it would be it would be a nine for me. The fact that yeah. it's not hyperlinked at all takes us to an eight for me. Um, but I don't necessarily even though there's like that weird space between the ship like character sheet and stuff that weird page um i don't necessarily want to drop below an eight i think it's laid out i think an eight i think an eight's fair i can't think of what yeah. i was looking for earlier but i don't think it was that major and i do think an eight's like it's really well laid out it's very easy to read it's very understandable like you yeah. know the font's good they don't make anything too complicated um looking 
Um, but yeah, yeah there's one or two little spots. Yeah, there's one or two little spots where like that page could be moved back one page and it'd be better. But the fact that it's but this is the beta, even, so. But it's it's been out for three years. I mean, and it got uh, any awards and stuff like that. The fact that this is the fifth printing, which is what mine is, and um, there's not a one goddamn hyperlink in it. It literally like it breaks my heart a little bit for how much I enjoy <laughs> this and how well it's laid out. The fact that there's not a single fucking hyperlink drives me up the goddamn wall. But I still think it deserves an eight. Um, rule set and crunch on this. I I like it. This is a great rule set. This is a fantastic yeah. rule set. Um, yeah, I don't... it's very easy to understand. It's very like, uh, and it, it it reinforces its own rules within the rules moving forward. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, yeah. So here here's here's so because again, what we have to say a lot of time. Uh, rule set is if you have a, a your own rule set. Um, is it good? Does it make sense? Um, and if you call yourself rules light, is it rules light? Uh, and that's what crunch is. Crunch is, is it the appropriate amount of rules for what you're trying to accomplish? I think yes, across both boards. So yes. what we really have to do is compare this to other games. No game has ever gotten a 10. I don't know if anyone ever will. Um, but games like this, I feel like uh, Red Giant got an 8. Merkborg got an 8. Necronautilus got an 8. I would in how well I think this is designed and how playable it is and how much I want to play it. Um, I feel like this is on that, on that par. Yeah, ab I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely agree. Um, okay. It's a very well-written game. The rule, like it seems like it'd be a lot of fun to play. Um, yeah, I agree. I think an eight's a really good role for the, or really that role, but uh, a really good uh, ruling for this. Uh, so the next one we have is originality. Um, I, th here's the thing with originality, a space horror exists, but totally. in 2022, if you talk to someone who knows tabletop role playing games and you say space horror, I feel like most people are going to say mothership. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think before yeah. there wasn't really, you know, I mean, there are now other space horror games. But I'm, I'm trying to think like, a few five years ago, six years ago, um, if I said space horror, what would you have run? Starfinder and just made it scarier. Um, yeah, I mean, so Mage Hand Press did put out a space game. I can't remember what it's called. Um, oh gosh, what is it called? It doesn't doesn't matter. Um, I don't think it was space horror related though. Um. But I mean, there is the alien RPG, which is literally alien, which this is like a rules light, like, like so many nods to alien that it's obviously based on the alien movie. Um, but when you look at uh, the alien RPG released, let's just look real quick. December 10th, 2019. Let's see who was the more OG. Oh, this one is 18. Oh yeah, so the alien I means there there wasn't even an alien RPG when Mothership came out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's pretty I think it's pretty original in that I think especially where it is now it's kind of set the bar for space horror. Um, and I'm sure that we're a bunch of fucking noob douchebags who I, I bet you somebody in else in chat or someone listening could be like I can name ten space horror RPGs from like 1970 yeah, and on. That might very well and, be true. Well, no, the other thing, too, is there are a bunch of older ones. Um, fuck, there's literally 
Oh, I someone out there in in, in podcast land is freaking out. There are a couple that I can think of, and I don't know why I'm blanking on the name, but there is like uh, a a super famous kind of like space horror um, uh, TTRPG. I don't believe uh, you unless, unless unless you said a name, I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> no, but there there are um, uh, Shadowrun was is eh. not not really a space horror it's a dystopian futuristic like magic setting yeah starfinder you can run it that way um gosh i know there's one from the 70s where you literally play on uh you literally play on a freaking ship and it's driving me nuts uh we don't i mean i'm just wasting fucking time now it's not savage world it's not star wars paranoia Paranoia is that one. Yeah, so Paranoia is is the one I was thinking of. Um, Paranoia um, RPG um, from Mongoose Publishing is a dystopian science fiction tabletop role playing game uh, from 1984, with edition still coming out. Um, wow. It won a bunch of awards. Uh, we'll do a few paranoia set, next. <laughs> yeah. The game is set in dystopian future city controlled by the computer and where information is restricted to color coded security clearance. Um, player characters initially enforce the computer's authority. Um, and the tone is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's tongue in cheek, like 1984 black humor space stuff. Um, so. There is a precedent for for you know the space horror stuff. Uh, this didn't invent the genre, so it's not a ten. Clearly, right. um, I'm. Yeah. What 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 number is in your head? And I'll tell you what number is in my head. I don't know. It's a space horror that uses a D100 system. I've seen other D100s, uh, but not. It's not like the most common system. Um, I think it uses it in a really original way. It's got pretty well laid out spaceship combat. Um, and spaceship building. Uh, I, I think this is a strong eight for me, you know? I, I, I was I was I was on the fence between a seven and an eight, but I, I do think that uh space horror not being like high fantasy with every fucking thing under the sun yeah. being built for it and mechanics that are really, really interesting, uh, and that yeah. just make fucking sense. Yeah. I'm good with an eight for that. Um all right, so value. Uh I think you were looking up um so- um, if you would like to get the PDF of this game right now, you can do so for the just the the book we went over, which is the like essentially the player's guide. What's it called? Um, uh, player survival guide. The player survival guide. Uh, you can get that for zero dollars. Um, okay. Or you can pay what you you can pay what you want for the PDF. But they have a zero dollar option. If you would like the PDF and the physical book, it is fourteen ninety nine. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, and then, I mean, there's a ton of like third-party mothership stuff that you can find. Um, but if you wanted to, like, <coughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, please excuse me. Um, continue um, purchasing mothership content from Tuesday Night Games' actual site. Let's say you wanted Dead Planet, um, which is a mothership-like extension. Uh, if you want the PDF, it is $7.99. And if you want the PDF and the physical copy, it's another $14.99. So feasibly for $30, bucks, you could get the book, 
um, and one like adventure essentially. Um, and the PDFs for both for 30 bucks. And I think that's like pretty good. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's it, so the seven ninety nine listed as a PDF cost. So it's eight dollars for a PDF, yes. which I'm fine with. I wish they were hyperlinked. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we download it directly from their site because I got mine from Exalted Funeral. I'm curious. I want to download it from the site and see if it's got PDF. Um, uh, see if it's got hyperlinks on it. Maybe we'll adjust the score after the thing. I think I think. And listen, it's a it's a very dense thirty five page zine for. 15 bucks PDF included, even though it's not hyperlinked. I think that's a pretty good price. Um, and also, I think, like, if you get, I mean, or zero dollars, if you right now just want the PDF, you can get for zero dollars that, P, like, the player's guide has everything you need to run the game. Like, you yeah. can pick it up and just write your own adventure, run the game from there. You can build a spaceship in there. You know what building yeah. a spaceship looks like. You can build any spaceships. Like, well, you, you can. And not only yeah. that, not only that, you could pick up the PDF of one book, Dead Planet or Pound of Flesh. For eight dollars, so you could have the base game and an adventure for eight bucks. I, I think yeah. that's a pretty good value. And if you want to talk I about do. third party content, I mean, fuck. Not only has Tuesday Night Games put out like I think like at least four, I think, of their own adventures because I know that Dead Planet, Pound of Flesh, and Gradient Descent are Gradient, yeah not like made for um uh like to run with mothership they are mothership adventures and the other they thing one of the reasons yeah. we switched it to value is because it's the price of the books but it's also the the a couple other factors that we tie in is availability of um more than just the book which there's a ton of both mothership content like from tuesday night games who made this and third-party content but specifically the third-party company talked about there is a um a license where you can make games compatible for third party. So, you know, so there's a shit ton. Like the entire Hull Breach book is basically all just third party content made for the license. So, the availability, the, the cost of the book comes into it. Um, the availability of additional content comes into it. And the availability of licensed third party content comes into it. I mean, I think this is a great buy. I would, I, I would too. put this. I mean, what are you thinking on this? I mean, eight or nine, you know, I think, I eight, think, I think a, eight for me, if there was more um, free content, it would be a 10, you know, um, but there's not, there is a bunch of paid content. And honestly, none of the paid content is really that expensive. Like, you yeah. know, you can go if the pamphlets on the exalted funeral, they're sold out right now, but whenever they have them, it's they're $5. Most of them are five bucks, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can um, still get a lot of them on. Oh no. The wrath of God is sold out. I somehow ended up with like three copies. Um, really? Well, so, so here's the thing though. Like we, when we compare it to some of the other games, because again, we have to do some comparisons. Um, the other ones that got eights. So again, so Merkboard got a 10 because there's so much fucking free content. It's insane. Um, and because it's got dungeon generators and websites and like you can create a dungeon, a monster and a character with like three clicks. So that was huge. Um, the one we talked about last was Ark. So the difference with Ark is there's an SRD license. There's a Discord right. bot. There's right. generators out of the ass. There's all sorts of stuff. So I don't quite think that this is on the level of arc for the because it doesn't have all those ancillary extras. Like the price is really good, but it doesn't have um uh from Tuesday night games like ship generator. You can just click a button and you build a ship or something like that. It doesn't have those apps or websites or anything like that. So I would I would personally drop this one point below arc because they have all of that and they just keep making more. I would give this a solid seven because the price is good. 
Um, there is a third party content and there's a third party license. I would, I would go. I'm good with that. Average price, extra content, third party license. I would go with the seven for value on this, which cool. is still a good score. I like it. Are you good? You're good yeah, with that? Absolutely. It's a good game. Yeah. Um, other games that got roughly a seven, um, uh, Necronautilus got a seven. Cool. So, and we upgraded that. So yeah, I think it's about the same as that. Uh, access, it's, it's an average cost access to third party content and third party contents available through a license. I think it's about the same. So we'll go up to seven for that. Cool. Um, so do you want to math that? Um, or yeah, I would love to, I'd love to math some stuff real quick. I'm going to ask you to do that and then do it myself anyway, because uh, my brain's stupid. Give me time. What did you get? <laughs> yeah. 36. I got a 36 too. There you um, go. Which uh, in the grand scope of our games, before we wrap this up real quick, uh, Merc Borg 44, Troika 36. I would put them, I think I like Mothership better, but as far as like interesting yeah. game, it definitely I would put takes them right a hit apart because each other. of the art. Like Mothership takes a hit because of the art. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's look at, it's got fucking eights, you know, in the actual yeah. like rules and stuff, but you know, it, it's art sparse. Yeah. Art sparse. We're a little artsy um, boys, you know, we're a little artsy sad boys and we like our little sad artsy yeah. stuff, you know? So Lancer 31, Necronalis 42, Warplane 33 in the, uh, so this got the same score as, um, as Casketland, uh, and, uh, two points off of, it's right behind Ark and Red Giant, respectively, uh, and is on par with Casketland. The difference being that Casketland's art was crazy, and you can play the entire right. game for, like, five fucking bucks. For um, nothing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you take off the value score, which you do a lot of the times, um, it would be, what, 29? Um, and Casketland would be 16, would be, like, 26. So it's definitely got points up as far as, like, the actual game yeah. is concerned versus, like, the value of the game. So I'm happy with the 36. I think that does... Me too. It's right there with uh, Troika. It's within two points or the same score as Troika, Ark, and Red Giant. Um, and I'm very happy with that. Yeah. And that is Mothership. So that was, uh, you know, that was Mothership by Tuesday Night Games. If you're just now hearing about that game, it's weird that you're listening to our show and you don't already know about that game because we are probably much more niche than this game is. Yeah. No, so of, of a lot <laughs> of the games that we've talked about so far um mothership has kind of blown up into a much bigger i mean yeah. the fact that it funded for what like 1.8 million or even more or was it like 2.5 or something like that for one e um look. is crazy but it's one of the more like i think like now bigger games that we've we've talked about so far 1. besides 4. like Merkborg. yeah 1.4 um but yeah it, it's a great game i want to play the shit out of it i'm excited for one e um if they could make this better and more streamlined i would love to see how because i think this is really really well done um so it's really interesting so uh for everyone out there listening um we are uh the weekly scroll podcast on the adventure archive here on twitch uh check us out every saturday uh 8 a.m pacific 10 a.m central time uh you can check out the rest of our games here on the adventure archive uh, right now i'm running evil adventure on wednesdays that will wrap up in the next like six to eight sessions and then we'll be doing a lot of different stuff um but start picking up again next week we're doing Merkborg, uh and we're actually using the vinyl uh putrescent regnant 
uh, to run an adventure. You can find uh, cool. like four or five other Merkborg arcs we've done on YouTube. Our YouTube is YouTube slash The Adventure Archive. Uh, you can see our Instagram at the.weekly.scroll. Check us out on Twitter. We're becoming more active there. We are The Weekly Scroll. Uh, the name is weekly underscore scroll. And you can check out our website at theadventurearchive.net where we combine all of this information into one handy place for you. You'll find the ratings and stuff and the VODs linked to everything. And in the, um, the Weekly Scroll specifically, the rating will be listed with the VOD so you can see uh, the layout of all of that. Um, if you are listening in podcast land, we really appreciate that. If you have the option to rate us, uh, giving a five or whatever the highest option is would be super helpful for us. And we would really appreciate that. To round out the big announcement at the top, uh, next week, we will have Johan Noor, uh, the uh, artist for a shit ton of stuff, um, what you probably know him best for right now is Merkborg. He'll be hanging out, drinking a beer with us next Saturday, noon Pacific time, 2 p.m. Central time. Do not fucking miss this. Um, I'm I'm still freaking out. I'm going to freak out for the rest of my life about this. I told Kaylee about it, my wife, who Hunter knows, and she was like, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds cool for you. Um, so my girlfriend said. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, we'd love to see you on all of those socials. Uh, and uh, I think that's about the con- most concise wrap up we've done so far. Anything to add? Nope, that was it. All right. Well, then everyone out there, you have a wonderful day. And Hunter, I will talk to you soon. Have a good day. Buddy. Farewell. Bye.